you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Your words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to collinslaststand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 110. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris, exclusive to the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 versions of the Avengers, Raygun. Chris, <laughs> thank you for joining me today. How are you? Uh, doing pretty good. Doing pretty yeah. good. I've been taking... So I, I got up really, really recently and I got to this weird... I had this weird dilemma where I was like, oh, what do I, what do I eat that's like super quick? And I had all these snacks available, just mm. like all these like really quick, you know, like uh, Cheetos and... And then stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, Cheetos for breakfast doesn't sound good. So I settled on uh, Chunky Chips Ahoy to get hmm. that kind of breakfasty kind of like, oh, it's, it's like a pastry. So it's almost a biscuit kind of thing. Sure. <laughs> it's the closest... You can get there in the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's certainly a better, uh, better start to the day than flaming hot Cheetos, I feel like. Yeah, I don't. You know, I'm not a Cheetos guy. Don't really like I never really liked Cheetos. They're messy, aren't they? Yeah, they're a little bit messy. It's too much. I, I actually prefer the, the cheese poof, if anything. You know, like the generic cheese ball. Cheese that puffs, you, I think they're called. Yeah, whatever they cut. Sometimes they come in these like gigantic cylindrical containers that you get at like Price Club. Yeah. And you can go crazy on those. They look like missile silos. 
Right, exactly. That's exactly right. So, well, I think you've made the right decision. I haven't eaten yet today. I'm going to my sister's for dinner tonight. That's actually why I asked you to record a little bit earlier than we usually do today because I'm trying to uh, accommodate the family as best I can. I saw that you enjoyed my text message <laughs> that I sent you. Yeah, thanks for that. You're welcome. Yeah. I have a I have a long history with that image too, so it's like it, it really uh it really really uh really awakened things. Yeah, good. I'm glad it got you out of bed and began your day. You guys can check that out. We, I think I put it up on Twitter. If you want to see what I sent to Chris, the Eldritch sort of situation that he found himself in <laughs> upon opening his eyeballs. Now, Chris, I, I was having some technical issues that had us start even later than I was planning. I have a new computer. So oh. Dustin, my editor, the editor of All Things Collins Last Stand, came here with his wife last, uh, no, earlier this week, actually, just overnight. Uh, it was time for us to renegotiate his contract and all of that. And he actually had built me a PC that I upon my request. And oh, shit. obviously I paid for it. So I can't really tell you anything about it because I don't know anything about computers, but it is a really meaty machine. And I have two 27 inch Dell monitors now. In nice. My office. That's good. Yeah. So it's 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 a lot. You know, I feel like I'm I feel like I should be doing something important here. Like maybe I should be like an air traffic controller. Yeah. Or something of this nature and not doing what we're doing here. But my favorite part, Chris, and I don't know if this is going to come through on the mic because the rain hasn't been coming through on the mic lately, is I got a mechanical keyboard, one of the DOS keyboards, like mm-hmm. the expensive keyboards. And so uh, are those the loud ones? Yes. So. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> is that nice? Oh, I love it. Oh, my God. I, I can't stay. I hate I hate it when my keyboard is loud. Oh, I love I mean, this is a keyboard you can't use in, in around anyone. Yeah, they no, fucking kill you. Yeah, <laughs> it's offensive. It feels like using an old app, like an old Apple two or IBM PC or something. It's pretty neat. You got to like really press the button. Yeah, yeah it feels like uh, like the fallout terminals almost like right. Clickety clack 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 garbage going on precisely. And I feel like that will do something to me to kind of get the creative juices going. It's kind of like working in a, in, a, in a smoky old 70s newsroom. Yeah. With everyone's typewriters clackety clicking around. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll be maybe I'll throw it out the window. I don't know. It was yeah. uh, this keyboard was almost like I think this keyboard was like almost 200 bucks. Jesus. You know, well, wow. because I didn't. The other thing is, is I wanted a mechanical keyboard. But what is with all of the light up mechanical keyboards? Yeah. And just I don't keyboards know. Generally, I hate them. I, I, yeah. The, pursue, I mean, in theory, you know, you're supposed to be able to see them like in the dark, but like just I don't know, just put a turn a light on. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I've never uh, I never quite understood the, the, the need for like light up like strobe lights and, and like neon looks like an Armenian dance club in your keyboard. And it's just like, <laughs> I, 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 I don't need this really. No, I don't want that either. In fact, I instructed Dustin to turn off as many of the lights in the machine as well. You know, because all this stuff, like the, all, I have like a water cooled something, and uh, he also pointed out the yeah graphics cooling. card to me. Yeah, liquid cooling. Mm-hmm. I, I was always under the impression we call these things graphics cards, right? Yeah, and I guess I just never really knew what a graphics card looked like. Yeah, it's they're like humongous. Yeah, they're they're beefy. They're uh, <laughs> they're beefy. They're long. They're they're like uh. They're like really beefy, really long PS Vitas almost like they're like they're really weird uh, in uh, as far as like the dimensions of them. I'm, I'm staring at it now. I don't they like got it. fans they should, on them. 
they should call it like cool. the graphics novella or something like that it's huge you know like they're enormous it's bigger yeah. Yeah, I had no idea. I always thought it was just a card like or like, you know, when you call something a card, I'm assuming, OK, it's like a playing card size or no, 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 maybe it, a greetings card size. <laughs> no, they're huge. They're bigger than yeah. the hard drives in most in most uh, in most PCs. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Do you remember which one you had? What, what kind graphics of graphics card? card? Yeah, it says GeForce RTX 2070. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's not a bad one at all. That's a really like high end one. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm balling over here, so yeah. Now, now you can now you can play Civ Five at 9K resolution. <laughs> I know exactly. Instead of playing it on PS4 like a fucking idiot, <laughs> but that's what a lot of people are confused about because I tweeted or I put this on Instagram or something, and people are like, "Oh, you're gonna finally play PC games?" I'm like, "No, no, no, no. This is just for me to be able to work more productively because working on my Origin laptop is great. I like my laptop a lot, but it's way too easy to get distracted downstairs. There's it's a whole cacophony of things to distract me yeah video games televisions outside beer pot yeah <laughs> you know so yeah it's it gets tricky like uh i i do play on pc sometimes uh actually pretty often these days but like it, it does get to the point where it's like all right this mixing the zones is is kind of weird because it's like i work on this thing and i also play on this thing it's like what do i what do i really do at the at this desk i had to get another desk just to, oh. just to work at desks are good. I got a new desk as well. It's like this corner desk. It's I never bought a nice desk. You know, I never had a nice like a really nice desk before or it's, a really nice. nice chair. Yeah. Yeah. It works out for me. So I'll be writing the new games up here on my mechanical keyboard. <laughs> so obnoxious. Oh I, oh, I think I put that in the there we go. I put that in the Google Doc there. <laughs> it is. Well, let's see. Like, I. Hello, Chris. I, I hate that. My name is Colin. Now, this is like I, Black Mirror when, you, when you're like being talked to by some degenerate who's trying to hurt you. Like, <laughs> I don't like trying to, trying to trap you in a Star Trek ship. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. Well, this is Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. We go up each and every week. You can get the show three days early and ad free by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Colin's Last Stand. Like 10,000 of you do. We appreciate your love, kindness and support. Remember, supporting us on there gets you access to the Patreon exclusive podcast, Sacred Symbols Plus. We also do every week. You can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. Get your name in the credits and much more. Last week's episode of Sacred Symbols Plus, I invited on Richard Hogue to the show. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Richard, Chris, but he's been making a little bit of a name for himself the last couple of years in the games industry as kind of like the go to lawyer yeah. that that deals with all of these litigious issues. And I invited him onto the show and we had a really great conversation. So people should go check that out. He does a show called Virtual Legality as well on YouTube. And uh, this week, I don't know what we're going to do. I guess we're going to need more time for Ghost of Tsushima, but I would imagine maybe a mailbag. Yeah, seems appropriate. I don't know. We'll figure that out when the time comes. But we're so glad so many of you are enjoying Sacred Symbols Plus on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. What else was I going to say? I was going to say something of import. I guess not. Um, no, it couldn't have been that important. All right. <laughs> Chris, before we get into what we're playing, let's go through this extensive list of things that have nothing to do with anything. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Alec Budge wrote into us. He says, greetings, Giga Bowser and Goomba. I wonder who's who. Yeah, I wonder. Because I'm Italian. So you would assume the Goomba would actually be me. Oh, you know, mm, I hadn't considered that. That's like a. Th yeah. that's a, I, I didn't even realize that that was like an Italy thing. Like an Italian thing at all, like for the longest time, like a Goomba. 
A Goomba, yeah. I had no clue. Well, now you do. A question outside of gaming. What do you two like to do when you're not gaming, podcasting, streaming, or YouTube video making? When I'm not playing this generation's greats, he says God of War, Ghost of Tsushima, Zelda, Breath of the Wild, and Rocket League. I find myself playing disc golf. I think they call that frolf in some locations. Yeah. Watching movies and YouTube, cooking, etc. I'm curious what hobbies, leisure activities, social interactions, <laughs> and so on YouTube may be up to when outside of the video game world. Chris, how do you spend your time outside of gaming and YouTubing? I don't I, I kind of jump between mediums. Like sometimes I'll uh, if typically like if I'm not writing a video, like that's typically what I try to be doing. But if I can't, if I have like writer's block with that, I'll do like, oh, all right, I'll see if I can move over to like music. And if I'm not making any progress with that, I'll move on to something else until I'm st- until I start to make progress. And then I stick with that thing until I stop until I hit a wall again. And then I'll cycle back to like video again. And then maybe I'll get some more ground in that. My entire life is just trying to circumvent writer's block, basically. It's just constantly trying to make progress and things. I totally get that. Yeah, I've actually like started using like this. Uh, I won't mention it since we're not sponsored by them yet, but it could possibly be a thing. But like, I think uh, I've been using this thing that like kind of lets you take online classes and stuff. So I've been doing a little bit of that with like music production in the meantime, just to learn how to oh, mix. Because cool. uh, I'm terrible. I-, I can play a lot of shit, but I can't mix for for my life. Uh, so I'm trying to figure that stuff out. But uh, so you're trying to learn, you're trying to better yourself. Yeah, your, I mean, spare time, you know, what else am I going to do? I mean, like, I can't at this point, the way things are, you know, I th- he says like uh, social interactions, like in, in what world? <laughs> like I would because I, I, I'm a pretty social person, I think, but certainly not now when everybody's just sort of locked and sealed away in their right. cha- in their chambers of secrets. And our sarcophagi. Yeah. 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 I'm well, you and I are yin and yang because I'm I'm obviously not very social. So that that kind of thing doesn't. Although I have to say I had an awkward interact social interaction yesterday. I should note, although I think it I think it went OK. So I live in a new neighborhood and no one's put fences up yet. Like we've all a lot of us have ordered them and everything's delayed. Right. Yeah. And uh, so. I play with Rush in the backyard, usually on the porch and in the backyard. But there's like little kids that live all over the the neighborhood, which is actually really nice. Like I was talking to one of the parents. It's like, wow, all these little little kids have like are going to grow up with each other and have like people to play with and hang out with. It's not as common as you might think. And so anyway, Rush heard, I guess, some little girls playing out front and the street ran around and ran to them and was playing with them. And then there was like the new people that live next door. And then the dad from across the street came over and then. There's other people that and I'm like hearing everyone's names and it's kind of awkward and I'm a little drunk, to be honest, because I was drinking in the backyard. <laughs> and uh, so I had like that. But I think it went OK, you know, trying to control Rush. He's a little nuts. Yeah. But the little girls wanted to play with him. They were like carrying him like a baby. It was cute. No, that's a but, uh, but uh, that was about the most socializing I've done outside of my family. And in a while, we're trying to keep in my family. We're trying to keep everyone like we're just trying to keep be honest with everyone about who's seeing who and what and where and how. And then everyone can make their own decisions on if they want to expose themselves to those people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's good. But yeah. Well, my mom's like my mom's got a heart condition mm-hmm. and she's got a pacemaker. So we try to stay away from her if we've seen other people. I think my sisters care less. But anyway, yeah. So socializing, not so much a thing outside of my family. I don't know, man. You know what I really like doing? I, I've, I've explained this in the past, Chris, but what I really enjoy is manufacturing free time in order not to do anything. So I work like really, really hard and try to get as much shit done as I can so that 
I can be like, well, I guess I can play a game now or I can go walk with the dog or I can just dick around or yeah, whatever. So I really covet that kind of time where there's not necessarily anything I want to do. And sometimes I occupy that with a lot of gaming. But recently I really haven't. I haven't really had the desire to play games too deeply the last couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah. So other things, I don't know. I, I, I like wa- hockey's back. I've been watching hockey. So, uh, yeah. But thank you, Alec Budge. We try to do other things outside of creating content for you. But really, I would like you all to think that I just wake up like out of a Dracula coffin, <laughs> make the podcast and then go back to sleep. Yeah. You stand up using just the, the backs of your heels. Right. Exactly. You just rise up on a hinge. Exactly right. P wrote in. He has a, an issue with something I said last week. He said, hey, Colin, you can't grill a man for his answer about Mega Man and not provide your own. So here's your second chance. What do you love most about Mega Man? So this, of course, is a reference to last week. I was making fun of the guys who are making the Mega Man movie by saying, that the thing they enjoyed the mo- most about Mega Man is that he's an underdog hero, <laughs> which is something I'll never forget. I'll never forget <laughs> when someone was asked what their favorite thing about Mega Man was, and they said that he's an underdog hero. <laughs> but I guess I never said what my favorite thing is about Mega Man. It's the uh, it's the weird campiness and kitsch of it. That's the best part of it. Yeah. And that someone who's making a movie doesn't get that is uh, that's scary. That's scary stuff. It's the same thing with G.I. Joe. If you are making a G.I. Joe movie that's serious, it's probably not going to be very good. You have to embrace the camp. And oh, it's the same thing with Mega Man. You have to embrace it. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of camp. And yeah, so that's my favorite thing. Pete, thanks for calling me out. Adam Davis has something has an issue with you, Chris. Oh, good. Now, this this seems to be a common theme the last few weeks. Uh, he says, hey, guys, first of all, I'm a huge fan and I love what you guys do. Been following Colin since the beyond days, and I'm a proud patron. Thank you, Adam. That being said, what in the hell is wrong with Chris? His weird viewpoints on food consistently leave me baffled. I mean, meatloaf, nachos, sloppy joes, salads and even baked beans. It seems he has a very warped and somewhat sad perspective on anything of the culinary variety. I just want to know why you have turned out so confused. Anyway, love you guys and stay safe out there, Chris. Yeah, I mean, well, meatloaf, nachos, sloppy joes, salads, and baked beans. I would wager that none of these things would probably be on your, like, oh, I'm on death row, let me have a last meal right. kind of thing. You're not going to say, I want baked beans <laughs> sloppy as, joes my baked last, beans. as my last <laughs> meal on this putrid earth. I think, I don't know, like, j- just none of these foods, if if I've had them, I've had just horrible experiences with them. If I've had them, they've either been, like really really underwhelming or really really bad and if i haven't had them then i just i've never wanted to like i don't think i've ever i've genuinely don't think i've ever eaten a single meatloaf like actually because just the the premise of a loaf of just kind of meat is just a little like ah that seems a little bit too like uh there's there's something uh about that premise that seems very like like what a British person would write an American kitchen like like, oh, yeah, they made bread out of meat. It's like what? But. It's a little ironic because I first of all, I had meatloaf yesterday for dinner, yeah. which is which was very good, but never in my life. Meatloaf is just it's just like a big meatball. Yeah. But, the, but meatballs are small for a reason. Right. You know, like they're like, so it's the size of the meatloaf that really intimidates you. I guess so. You know, yeah. like there's no real need for like such a huge just chunk of fucking meat. Like usually like that's supposed to be like mixed with something like pasta or something, you know, anything, anything else. 
But like, just like the the premise is just like this big, and it looks like bread too. It looks like a loaf of bread in right. some cases that I've seen. And it's just like what yeah. what kind of weird like uh, carnivorous Willy Wonka would make this? <laughs> yeah, meatloaf's interesting. It's like a it's I think kind of like a lower income meal, which is ironic to me. I mean, I grew up eating it. It's like kind of ironic to me because beef really is cheap in the United States. Yeah. So you can put a cup, get a couple pounds of beef and just put like some garlic and breadcrumbs and stuff in it. I, I quite like it, but because there's so many damn cows, right? No, there's so many cows. I mean, we have so many cows. So and we should and if we have cows, I say we kill them. So, yeah. Uh, so that's and right, also well, baked beans. Also baked beans. I will say, like, I don't know. There's something like my entire family, like just like if if they. If they ever gave me beans and I tasted anything sweet about them, I would I would be immediately offended. Like beans are like supposed to be like to me, that's like almost a savory or it's supposed to complement savory shit. It's supposed to be like, hey, here's rice and beans. Here's beans in a burrito. Here's like, you know, it's a very different role that beans fill in my palate than like putting it on toast for breakfast, like some kind of anarchist. Right. Well, that's a British. That's a very British thing to do. Yeah. And by the way, I was looking at the exit surveys on Patreon last week. We, we can read why people leave if they want to leave us comments. Usually yeah. it's like, you know, I'm at, I, I lost my job. So like sad shit. And uh, one of the guys said that we make I make me specifically. I make fun of the British too much. Oh. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, see you later. Have fun eating your fucking baked bean toast. Yeah. Like a, like a your lobster back, like some kind of. It's like a destitute cowboy with Crohn's disease meal. <laughs> I don't know if you want to see you want. Do you want to eat beans? You have a Crohn's disease probably make you flatulent. Yeah. I don't know. Right. And that the point. No, I thought with Crohn's disease, you want to you want to do everything you can to avoid that kind of situation. You know, uh, I, th- I think you want to just from. embrace it. Oh, OK. <laughs> Mark, you con you Ian. Yukonjitian. I'm not going to help you. I can't. I can't even begin to understand. Yukong. Mark wrote in. Said, Colin, we know how you feel about geese, swans and two faced ducks. What about flamingos? You know, this this really caught my eye because I have something to tell everyone. I think you might know this, Chris, because I had one in my apartment, although I don't know if you noticed it. Maybe you didn't. I'm a huge flamingo guy. I Hmm. love flamingos. Love them. Yeah. I've always loved flamingos. And uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know where it really came from. We were actually talking about it recently in my family because my mom actually bought me like this really huge metal flamingo for my front yard, which I promptly put <laughs> in my front yard. And uh, we think it's from like, remember, like, you know, I'm sure they still exist, but like pinwheels. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I used to love those when I was a kid. I used to get them at like the grocery store and they used to make the flamingo ones. Yeah. Where it was, like, yeah. His leg. Yeah, and totally. so I used to put those in the front yard. And I think that's like where my my love of flamingos came from. So I always had a flamingo in my apartment in California. And and now that I moved and I have a yard, I have a flamingo out front in my yard. So it's funny you ask, Mark. <laughs> I you, love flamingos. You said metal flamingo and I immediately thought like heavy metal, heavy metal. flamingo. It actually sound, metal flamingo actually sounds like a like a platformer, like an indie platformer. It does. Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, shout out to the flamingos. Anyone who. Anyone, listen, I want to be really clear about this. Anyone who denigrates a flamingo, anyone who threatens a flamingo, anyone who lays hands on a flamingo has an I have an issue with that person. Flamingos are God's gift to 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 <laughs> Jeez, I had no idea that there was this much passion behind. Yeah, it. I have a lot of passion for the flamingo. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I have I have no quarrel with the flamingo. You know, they the seem f- like a peaceful, peaceful people. Yeah, they're pe- <laughs> 
<laughs> they're they're a peaceful a peace a peaceful uh nomadic race. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> I wish they were a little bigger. They would be cool to ride. You know, riding a flamingo would be kind of. Oh cool. God, no, that'd be ter- now. I think I think the the size of the flamingos is probably the only thing that's keeping it from being terrifying. Yeah, they're still they're so very tall though. You know, they're very tall, but they're not very. Yeah. Large. They don't feel very. Yeah, I don't feel threatened by a flamingo. So and you love flamingos a lot. Like what? Like how then would you react if a flamingo? like kicked in your door and started trying to attack you like how how would you would you like resign you'd be like i can't hurt this thing i don't know it's a good question i've never had that kind of quarrel with a flamingo before so i don't really know i don't know what i would do maybe yeah. i would take a gun and shoot it right in its fucking flamingo head if it came into my house i don't know it's quite the I brouhaha i know we'll have to i mean we'll, we'll play it by ear if someone dresses up as like a flamingo and tries to come into my house that'll be all right all right, let's see here. Brandon Hardman wrote into us and said, hey, Chrysanthemum Colin and the sword Chris. After listening to you guys talk about beans for two weeks, I wanted to share a small anecdote. I was driving to Asheville, North Carolina one day and passing through a small town in Tennessee when I saw that there exists a bushed bake, a Bush's Baked Beans Museum. Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't go in there because I was busy not being a fucking psycho, but I just wanted to share that it exists. Who knows? Maybe another patron has even made a visit. So uh, just throwing it, you know, there's got to be a lot of beautiful bean footage at that museum. Yeah. I would assume. I, how do you even. There, is, is there just a museum for everything? I think so. Yeah. yeah. OK. I think so. Brian Borlaug wrote in us and said, hey, guys, Colin is a fellow inverted player. I was explaining your analogy of the stick in the back of the head to my buddy as to why it makes sense, at least for us. While talking it out, though, I realized that controlling a head that way would lead to an inversion of the X axis, which is an absolute fucking abomination. Now. I am lost and cannot find reason in our plight. All is lost anyways. They, I like how he said all is lost twice. Anyway, thanks as always, fellas, in regards to an amazing podcast. It helps me drown out the screaming children I'm trapped with in my apartment. Uh, you're very welcome. This is, of course, why you can't logically conclude the head and the, the stick in the back of the head thing, because it's true. It doesn't make any sense, actually. Yeah. But uh, I saw I, I don't know. Did we put a, I thought I might have put a letter in here about this somewhere. Maybe not. Uh, Fall Guys, that really big game. That just came to PlayStation Plus and everyone's playing didn't have invert Y in it, which oh, really? is uh, that's crazy, man. I don't know. I just I, that's crazy. <sighs> yeah, I guess I guess so. It, it's it's crazy by virtue of I like by the surely just because I know a lot like a decent amount of people play that way. But it, it, it's still something that I struggle with that that's even a preference at all. Like I, I cannot I genuinely cannot wrap my head around inverted controls one day we should do videos where you play a game inverted <laughs> and i play uninverted and we see what happens that's a good idea that's not a bad idea at all i'll just be running around looking at the ceiling yeah or the ground yeah i don't know i can't i can't figure it out myself but uh thank you brian elijah de la rosa wrote in and said hey cnc well listening to the most recent episode of sacred symbols you and chris mentioned how the next bioshock game we were talking about that should take place in space well I find it surprising no one of note in the industry saw the similarities between Bioshock and Pragmata. A new IP from Capcom releasing on next gen. It features a space setting as a large man in a suit with a big gun with a small childlike companion. I thought it was a Bioshock game when the trailer played out only to be shocked it wasn't. Have you heard any new info on this game? And if not, do you and Chris have any opinions on it? If it would be a Capcom attempt to make a new Bioshock in its absence. Uh, do, are you familiar with this game, Chris? Yeah, this is the one that uh, was at was it at the PS4 reveal or, or, or at one of the state of plays? 
it was at a state of play, I want to say. Yeah. Um, because when you search for it, the trailer, the first trailer that comes up is from PlayStation. Yeah, it's the one where he's like so, yeah, falling through the sky and like there's like, they end up in space or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It looks, it looks cool. Yeah. Well, first of all, a little offended, Elijah, because I brought this up immediately. I said, hey, this looks kind of like Bioshock with uh, something. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I know I know I brought Bioshock in there because it did look like Bioshock. So you're insinuating that I'm no one of note in the industry. So mm. very rude. Very rude of you. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like I didn't that. Realize that. I didn't realize it. But yeah, I know that is it does look very Bioshocky. I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, like there was no gameplay of it. So we just kind of saw this vague teaser and there are some like visual elements that do uh, evoke a sense of kind of like a trippy Bioshock kind of experience. But we don't really know anything about it. I, I know I don't know anything about it. No, we, we it doesn't even come out until 2022. So, yeah, it's I have a ways to go. But Pragmata, I like the name. And uh, yeah, the trailer is very stylish. I think Capcom is undergoing a renaissance and so i think there's and we'll talk about their sales a little later in the news so yeah elijah just wanted to acknowledge you and uh thanks for insulting chris sure you really appreciated that <laughs> ben williams wrote into us and said oxford comma yay or nay where do you stand on the oxford comma chris uh i could take it or leave it it's really not i i used to think i was a bit more of a like a grammar nazi than than i actually am but like the oxford comma is so like it's it, it's such a non-issue. I feel like like I understand the the argument for its use, but th- the argument for its use usually is like, oh hey, well, what is it? You have to make sure that you're you're separating everything that you're talking about. But like, I think everybody just sort of gets that intrinsically. Like, you don't really need the Oxford comma. It just it just sort of helps you convey something that really should be obvious already. Yeah. So for people that don't know what the Oxford comma is. I just Googled that what like what would the definition be if someone was uh, defining it? and they said a comma used after the penultimate item in a list of three or more items before end and or or. And their example is an Italian painter, sculptor and architect. Yeah. So I actually wasn't an Oxford comma guy until I started working at IGN. There was a, a managing editor there named Chuck. What was his last name? Chuck. Chuck Osborne, I believe was his name. He was mm-hmm. a nice guy. And uh, he would edit me sometimes. And he was the one who instilled the Oxford comma in me. And ever since then, I was like, yeah, I'm 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 for the Oxford comma. I don't like the stupid examples of like this changes an entire meaning of a sense. Like, you know what the fuck it means yeah, when you're reading it. But it does. I do like the Oxford comma. I don't like giving it too much credit because Oxford is in Great Britain. <laughs> and English is from England. But nonetheless, that's the I don't want to lose any more patrons by insulting uh, Europe. So. Yeah. But Ben, yeah, the Oxford comma is at home here at Sacred Symbols. Ray Ripley wrote in and said, hey, boys, with all this shower talk the last few weeks, I couldn't help but notice that there has been no discussion of baths. I love hot bubble baths and I hardly ever take showers. Do you guys enjoy baths, too? Or do you hate sitting in brown filth water for an extended period of time? Thanks for the amazing content. And I hope we all survive 2020. Thank you, Ray. Chris, are you a bath fan? I am a bath fan, but not not to not as like a substitution for showers. Mm. So I like it, it's almost like a jacuzzi kind of thing where it's like I like I like to run like just a, a scalding like a stupid hot bath and just sort of relax. Sometimes I'll, I have like a I actually have like a bath like tray for my laptop and shit so I could just like write and like do a bunch of stupid shit while just being like obscenely warm. 
in a nice little uh nice little chamber. It's really nice. It's a nice feeling to just sort of just like relax in that way, but I, I don't think they're apt ways to get clean. You know, I, I don't I just Definitely. don't think it does anything. Like I, I you're you, you might as well just cry all over yourself. Honestly, like you're you're not really cleaning yourself at all. You're just you're just making yourself wet, and then you're just gonna stink, but wet. Yeah, like you still you and like cleaning yourself. You're just like sitting in the filth and like I I don't really know how much filth you would generate really if you're consistently bathing. It's probably not that much, but it's still to me enough to warrant like, all right, I I still have to shower today even though I've I've taken a bath. You've hit the nail on the head with the bath. Is I'm a huge bath fan. Love baths. Love them. But you got to shower every day, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not getting any, you know, he says brown filth water. The water is clear in my bath because I'm clean when I get in. Yeah. And I'm just using it to, you know, to warm myself up to to get that chill out of the bones sometimes. Yeah, it's great. It's great to just be insanely warm. Like just it, like yeah. way, like way more warm than you could ever really hope to be outside of a bath. And I don't have a jacuzzi. So this is like the only. You know, it's the closest I'm going to get. Well, shout out to baths, Ray Ripley. Yeah. Um, underrated. Now, I'm, he likes bubble baths. I like bubble baths, too, but I typically haven't been putting anything in the water. But he says he hardly ever takes showers. So he is one of these people that we have some issue with because it seems like he's scrubbing his balls and whatnot in the bath. Uh, yeah, and I just I, the, I can't get behind that, man. Unless you got like yeah. a really enormous bathtub where it's almost like a pool kind of where it's like, ah, uh, it's whatever. <laughs> It's like a Roman bath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually stayed in a hotel in, in uh, Canada that with one of those like huge Roman baths. It was awesome. Those things are amazing. <laughs> they were so they were stupid. on to something in Rome. I don't know, man. They were on to something. Polytheism, baths. <laughs> <laughs> I like those two put together as like <laughs> just extremes. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. And finally, Stringy07 wrote in to us, said, hello, gents. Have either of you ever followed or considered buying any stock in Sony? In November 2013, around the release of PS4, Sony stock was approximately $18.50 per share. Over the years, with the success of the PlayStation brand and strength of their other products, such as image sensors, Sony stock is now trading consistently above $60 a share in 2020, with the exception, of course, of a big dip with the onset of COVID. To start August, shares are just above $80 a share. Do you think the imminent PS5 release and continued focus on the PlayStation brand will see Sony stock continually grow stronger? Do you think they will fall due to the potential for lack of consumer buying power during these uncertain times? Thanks for all that you do and stay safe and healthy. I just wanted to bring this up, Chris, because I have no problem buying gaming stock. I don't own any right now, but owning Sony stock, I think, would be some sort of conflict of interest for me. So 
I just have never even I, I look at their their stock price and I own other stocks. But mm-hmm. just want to throw out there that I, I think owning Sony stock would be a little weird for the show. Yeah, personally. No, yeah, no, you're probably right. I don't mind owning like take two stock or Activision Blizzard stock or whatever, if that ever became available to me at a good price. But just wanted to throw it out there. We have no financial arrangements that would be uh, make us beholden to Sony or any other mm-hmm. publisher, manufacturer, developer, etc. Yeah. All right, Chris, let's get into what we're playing. It says that you are playing Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, I forgot to say Destroy Humans also, but like it's the same. I have pretty much the same stuff to say about it as I did last time. You know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I just got the I think like I'm in the middle of act two right now. I'm enjoying it still. It's a really beautiful, beautiful world. I'm gelling more and more with the gameplay as it goes on. Uh, I really like the the way that it handles stances and. I'm I'm getting really good at parrying. It it, it feels like a game that's um, I really like the combat in it because it's it's really simple. It reminds me of Hellblade a lot, where it's like, you know, here's this like really simple combat model that you you just kind of have no choice but to improve over time with because it's so consistent. And I'm really liking that. I'm digging the story so far, and I put on Destroy Humans whenever I want to blow off some steam, and that's been pretty good. But it's it's the same same exact situation as last week, essentially. Yeah, I feel like I'm in a similar lull right now, just in, you know, Ghost of Tsushima is good. I'm starting to click with me more. I think I've just been really busy lately, too, with just some other yeah other shit that I have to deal with. And um, so I've been playing it a little bit, but it yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to getting back to it. There's nothing else really coming out anytime soon that's going to distract me from it. So, yeah, there there's time enough. Um, I, but I also sat down and played Twin Breaker on Vita, our game. Uh, the physical copy of the games have their own trophy list. So I've already platinum the game on PS4 and Vita digitally, but I platinum the game on Vita last night. That is platinum trophy number 99. Platinum trophy number 100 is going to be Twin Breaker as well. And uh, that'll be the physical version on PS4. And I will be doing a stream on the Long Island Viper about that. Now that I have my setup all ready to go, I have a camera finally so you can see my face. Oh, good. If that's what you want to do, <laughs> you might regret it. You might regret it. You might. Tyler Hook wrote a note though on Patreon. Chris, he says, what's up, CNC? I just finished Ghost of Tsushima after playing The Last of Us Part 2. I've been trying to find something else to play next, but everything seems like too big of an undertaking right now. I'm looking for something with really good gameplay that is easy to hop in and out of. Any suggestions? Thanks. P.S. My mom told me my grandfather used to put baked beans on his hamburgers. I tried it and it's actually very good. I, I, I mean, I, I believe that. I mean, I, bl- I absolutely believe that. Um, yeah, yeah. It distresses Chris, but I believe it, uh, Tyler. So, Chris, would you think that a, a game like Destroy All Humans remake would be what Tyler is looking for? It seems like he's he, he's kind of suffering from the same malaise I am after The Last of Us Part Two, where it's so heavy that everything else doesn't really seem to stack up in that way. I feel like I need to ease my way back into the normalcy of playing games. Yeah, would you recommend that to him. No, I totally would. It's 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 like a it's a really cheap video game. It's just it's just fun. It's it's silly. It's it doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't have to like expend a lot of brain power to play it. You don't have to pay too much attention to it. It's a really good palate cleansing game. Like, and I remember it being that game for me back on the PS2. Also, like whenever I would get like a new game on the PS2, I would play through it, and then like whenever I wanted to acclimate myself back to like the normalcy, I would always like pop on destroy humans because it was just such a reliable way to just spend time being a just being a living your fantasy of just being a complete asshole to random unsuspecting people in the 1950s 
but <laughs> that is a dream that is a dream of a mine. Dream, a dream come true but yeah no I, I would say that's a pretty if you're if you're looking to get something new but what i would suggest honestly is if you have a backlog dig into that maybe like check out what's what's going on in there because i'm sure we all at this point uh, especially with how long ps plus has been going on i'm sure we all have things in our backlog that we probably uh, didn't really either either didn't give a fair shot to or probably just kind of fell off or maybe you never even started at all so like maybe dig into some of that and see if there's anything that catches your eye if not i i totally would recommend destroy humans for that it's it's cheap it's fun and it's silly yeah i'm i totally love what you said there about the backlog i feel like we're always looking forward but and that's good but we have we all have so many games we've not played that we've either downloaded, like you said, from PS Plus or downloaded in a sale. I know a lot of people have been remarking the last couple of years that PlayStation Store sales are almost becoming akin to Steam sales mm-hmm. with how deep and regular they are. So, yeah, before you are looking for something new, go back into that back catalog if you have the wherewithal to do so, because I bet you'd find some stuff there that you want to play. Like I accidentally downloaded just straight up accidentally brought it to my machine uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered 2 or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to play this. And I forgot that this was even available for free. And there's just a lot of stuff like that. And I think you can organize in your library your games by PS Plus stuff, too. So you can see all the stuff you downloaded for free or have access to for free over the years, months and years. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's good advice, Chris. Good advice indeed. And uh, some people are getting nervous that we're not going to finish Ghost of Tsushima. We'll finish it. Yeah, we will do our uh, spoiler cast on it (laughs) in the coming weeks. I promise. Yeah, we will. All right, Chris, it's time to get into the news now. Number one is going to be dedicated to state of play. State of play at the time that we are recording hasn't yet happened. It's supposed to be PS4 oriented. So I really doubt it's going to have anything useful. In fact, if you read the PlayStation blog, they pretty much reiterate over and over again that there's not going to be anything there that's going to get you excited about PlayStation 5 or anything like that. So this is them, I think, talking about some PS4 stuff from third party. I will come back in later tonight from when we're recording this and put a little interstitial here. If it's really big, then I'll have Chris come on with me. But otherwise, I'll go through the news right here, right now. So that's what happens on State of Play as spoken by Colin Moriarty, beginning now. Okay, so I'm actually recording this well after we recorded the episode, as promised, because I had to go to a family dinner. So I sat down and scrubbed through the news and the 45-minute or so, 40-minute or so state of play stream, as it were. No Chris for this, because there's really nothing interesting as we predicted. But here's everything that was talked about in order, I believe, and... You can go look up trailers for all of this stuff, but here's the pertinent information you need from the state of play. First of all, they talked about Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time from Toys for Bob, the Activision studio. We already know that's coming out October 2nd on PS4. They did talk about something called inverted mode, which is kind of like a mirror mode in the game. So that's cool. We have that to look forward to. They talked a little bit about Hitman and Hitman 3 IO Interactive, but they Discussed that Hitman's 1, 2, and 3, 3 is not out yet, 3 will come out next year, but the other two, which are already out, are going to be playable on PSVR, all of them, which is kind of neat, so you can go go look that up. One of the cooler things they talked about today was the Braid Anniversary Edition, so you'll remember Jonathan Blow, who also created the early PS4 hit, The Witness, one of the first games to ever be revealed for the console, as you'll recall, the first third-party game uh, to be revealed for the console, as I recall, at Sony's presser in early 2013 
Well, Braid was the game he did before that. And Braid Anniversary Edition is going to be released on in 2021. There's going to be commentary tracks and all sorts of cool stuff associated with it. It's a really special game. Originally came out in 2008, so you can go check that out. The Pathless, which is an open world, seems like an action RPG where you're an archer. This is from Giant Squid, the studio that made the game in 2016, Abzu, which a lot of people liked, but I wasn't that crazy about. That comes to PS5 at launch, it looks like, holiday 2020. Uh, they talked more about Spelunky 2 which is, of course, the follow-up to the wildly successful procedurally generated side-scrolling action game, puzzle game from Lost Mouth that comes out September 15th on PS4. We already knew that. We saw Genshin Impact uh, once more. That's coming to PS4 this fall. We saw a game from Thinking Stars. This is one of the Chinese games that Sony is trying to bring over to the West. It's a 2.5D game. It's called Anno Mutatinum? Mutatinum. I don't know. Anyway, uh... It comes out, let me see here. Yeah, I think December for PS4. They showed more Bug Snacks, which is from Young Horses, the guys that brought us Octodad back in, what? Well, I don't know what that was, what, 2014? Uh, that game comes out holiday 2020, as we know, on PS5. We knew for a while that Vader Immortal, which is the VR game made by ILM that was already available on PC, that's coming to PSVR August 25th. We knew that was coming, but now we have a date. We know that the AWE DLC for Control, that's the second Control DLC pack from Remedy's game Control from last year that comes out August 27th on PS4. Auto Chess is coming to PS4 on October 31st. I don't think we knew that was coming, but maybe we did. Let me see. I'm turning. I'm very loudly turning my notes. Uh, they showed that the, the Pedestrian, uh, Pedestrian, I'm sorry, that comes from a studio called Skookum Arts. It's a 2.5D puzzle platformer that comes to PS4. January 2021, and that will obviously be backwards compatible on PS5. Probably the coolest game they showed, in my opinion, was Hood Outlaws and Legends, which is based on Robin Hood, kind of an alternate history telling of Robin Hood, although I guess every telling of Robin Hood is an alternate history of Robin Hood. That comes to PS5 in 2021. That comes from Sumo Digital. Pretty surprising to see them doing another PS5 game. They're already doing the Sackboy Adventure game on PS5. You'll know them, of course, from Little Big Planet 3. They did Crackdown 3, etc. They've been around for a long time. So we have that to look forward to. The MMORPG that's already available on PC called Temtem is coming to PlayStation 5 in 2021. That's from Crema, which is a Spanish studio. This is a pretty uh, interesting game. It's supposed to be kind of like a Pokemon game. So we can look forward to that as well. And then finally, everything ended with the Counterplay slash Gearbox PS5 launch game Godfall. So again, 40 minutes or so. It's cool to see some gameplay. Nothing I really needed to see. Although... It's cool for them to give a little attention and shine to PS4 and PSVR, although there was more PS5 here than I think they let on. I think they might have done that on purpose. So we'll catch up on all this stuff as it gets closer, if there's more news or whatever. But as we predicted, it's really nothing very interesting. Go watch the video. Go watch the trailers if you want. Let's get back into the show. All right, Chris, that's it for the state of play stuff. Wow, exciting. Isn't it great? Yeah, I loved all of that, I think. Uh, All right, let's move on to the news that we actually have in front of us now. Number two, Sony has released new PlayStation 4 related sales data amidst its usual burst of fiscal quarter data from April 1st through June 30th of this year, which is Sony's first fiscal quarter. PlayStation 4 sold an additional 1.9 million units, which brings cumulative units sold to 112.3 million. PS4 remains the second best selling home video game console ever launched only behind PlayStation 2 at a likely uh, insurmountable 152 million units sold. In third place is Nintendo's Wii at a shade over 100 million sold. Amazingly, although perhaps not shockingly, since COVID has kept many people indoors, 
74% of all games sold on PlayStation 4 will so- were sold digitally during the quarter, a shocking increase from 53% during the same period last year, and marking that only a quarter of all games sold on the platform are sold physically, spelling the sure end of physical media outside of a persistent niche in the coming years. There are around 45 million active PlayStation Plus subscribers, representing just under half of all consoles sold, with a 3.4 million increase quarter over quarter. PSN as a whole had 113 million users total during the month of June. During the quarter, Sony sold 91 million games, 18.5 million of which came from first party, according to website Push Square. Sony itself saw $5.6 billion in revenue, and when it comes to its PlayStation vertical, Sony's net revenue, or monies after expenses, is at 41% for add-on content, while only 9% for PS4s and an even lower 6% for so-called package software. 24% of PlayStation's net revenue comes from digital game sales and 16% from subscription services like PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now. So a lot of new data uh, there. Uh, Some interesting things to dive into here, Chris. The Mm -hmm. audience wants to uh, go into, and of course, we can expand even more. Calvin Kirstein wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, did you guys see how much Sony is making from DLC and microtransactions? Over $2 billion dollars. That's insane. So it stands to reason, then, why does Sony rely on narrative-driven single-player games so much? These games offer some DLC, but little in the way of microtransactions, and there's all this money to be made. I totally understand how annoying paid-for-add-ons can be, but Sony is a business, after all, and businesses like making money. Thanks, and stay safe. So this was a big story, Chris, that 41% of Sony's net revenue comes from microtransactions and add-on content, which is... Crazy. Now, I think some people are misinterpreting this, so I need, I need to throw this in before I, di- I throw it to Chris. You have to understand the difference between the terms net and gross when it comes to business and money. Gross income or gross revenue is all the money you made selling something. Net revenue is what you have left over after your expenses are paid. So the net revenue could be zero. So what they're talking about is net revenue. And it makes sense to me that add-on content would have the most net revenue since it has the least financial investment and therefore the least amount of money to make back while it's not yeah. even surprised that you would get nine percent or six percent back on games that actually required an investment so i wanted to say that because i was reading some stories that mm-hmm. clearly thought that that that's not what it meant but that's what net revenue means so anyway throwing it over to you chris how do you feel about uh what's calvin saying with all this focus on single player con- uh, content why wouldn't sony focus instead on microtransactions since it's what's making them all their money well, I, I think I think they are. I think that's kind of the point is that you have this platform, right? You have the PlayStation 4, you have the PlayStation platform as, a, as an ecosystem, as a console. And then you have these big, really expensive single player narrative driven projects that kind of draw people into the ecosystem where they will then spend money on microtransactions on other games in that ecosystem. They kind of use... Um, games like God of War and Horizon Zero Dawn and any any of the big kind of tentpole releases that you see for PlayStation, they might not be monetized in and of themselves, but because they exist and because they're so highly revered and because the, the, the quality is kind of expected to be there, it brings more people into PlayStation and it brings more people into the console ecosystem. It brings more people into PlayStation Plus. It makes them... It allows for more opportunities for people to subscribe to PlayStation Plus, PlayStation Now, and then play other games on that platform where they can then spend all their extra money on, you know, some hat in Fortnite on their storefront. Gotta have the hat. Gotta have the hat. hat. 
Still, I know I brought it up so many times, but the, the kid beating the shit out of the bush outside that video <laughs> is still my favorite thing ever. Yeah. Which apparently is, is a fort, him trying to play Fortnite in real life. Yeah, I think that I just feel like there's more between these numbers than, than meets the eye. Sony's making free 30% rips on every microtransaction sold by other companies. So again, it just goes to show you that it's really important that they establish and keep their hardware moving, unlike Microsoft, because they're making so much money off of just latent revenue just from people doing business on their platform. So I think that's another thing that you have to throw into the mix. Like making 9% back on your first party games, for instance, is a pretty nice investment. I mean, if you made 9% back on almost any investment, that would be considered awesome. So just so that they're getting, you know, 50% or whatever revenue, net revenue from these investments in microtransactions from mostly third parties, I think is is a great sign for them because I actually can't think of any Sony games that even have microtransactions that are very relevant. It, this all must be coming from some second party and certainly third party games. Yeah, it's 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 all coming from from that. And it, and it makes sense, you know, like you could sell everybody a game for $60 or you could have like there are some people who will buy who will buy a game and then spend hundreds upon hundreds of dollars on that game. Like even though it's the same person like the monet- like I feel like microtransactions because they're so they can be monetized in the same household like pretty much infinitely you know and I think that's like that's a huge revenue stream and it makes sense that it would make a lot of money indeed Jake Diagrella wrote into us said greetings clever Colin and coquettish Chris Sony recently put out their quarterly earnings, and one statistic in, re- in particular really stood out to me. Not only did Sony sell through 91 million games, but a whopping 74% of those sales were digital. I imagine the pandemic pushed that percentage, but this is a staggering number. Is this just a spike or rather a sign of things to come? And the pandemic just pushed us all closer to this inevitable digital future. Cheers, guys. Stay safe. So this was the number that really stood out to me. And this number just keeps going up and up and up. And originally, Chris, you'll remember that Borderlands 3 last year was the first game of note that I remember from the AAA space that actually sold more copies digitally than they did at retail. And that was long before COVID. So I think that people are becoming more comfortable using digital sales because they're forced to and they realize it's really not that big of a deal and it's actually much more convenient. So I think that we would expect that while these numbers are spiked for the time that we live in in 2020, I wouldn't expect them to really go down. And this makes the whole two skew approach a little bit more interesting for Sony because they are going to continue with this disc version of the console, which I know a lot of people are excited about. I plan on getting both versions of it personally, but I'm curious uh, if you think this number will stay static. This is basically three and four games. It's worth noting that the 91 million games and 74% digital sales are overall sales. A lot of those games are only available digitally, but still one in four games being sold on PlayStation is now being sold physically. I mean, that's a, that's a far cry from the five and 10% that we were seeing. Yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. No, I mean, I, this people don't go back from this, you know, this is the kind of thing that like, once you're there, you're there for the long haul. Like you're not, you Nobody buys games digitally for 10 years and then all of a sudden decides, ah, you know what? <laughs> I want discs now. Like, this is something that, yeah, it's definitely like an, like an artificial spike. But this is, this is just how things are going, man. Like, this is, I knew that this was coming for, like, years already. Uh, and eventually, eventually this number is going to be 90. 
and eventually it's going to get to 95 and it's going to be insane. Yeah, it'll be interesting as for as long as the the hardware manufacturers support physical media, there will always be niche publishing from East Asia Soft and Limited Run and all these things that will never make the number of around 100%. But it's going to get pretty close to that, I think. I just think that people are are onto the convenience factor or onto the fact that you can preload your games. It's even dangerous and kind of a gambit to to get like the day and date delivery from Amazon or GameStop because I know that and I've experienced it in the past, but I know that people don't even get their games the day they come out. And then they're watching all these people who digitally preloaded the game go at 12.01 a.m. It's just there's all sorts of reasons not to do it. I think the only reason to buy physical is because it'll probably be cheaper, quicker and longer to buy physical. But that's just a cop. That's just a sign of the of the de- degradation of that sector yeah of, of the, gaming there's also just the misconception that you own the game if you have it on disc which is just like you don't like you're you're licensing a game like regardless of whether or not you download it digitally or whether or not you get that you have the disc you're 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 that's not your game technically the licensing issue is interesting because you're right in the main i think that their whole argument is that well i can transfer the license in a used game sale as someone else and that's true but Used game sales are going to plummet too. Like this whole, this whole ecosystem is going to start dying because more and more people are only going to be buying physical games when they're made available in these limited runs, and then they're not going to want to sell those games, and so people are going to hold on to them. That's going to dry up that market as is. So yeah, I don't know. I think I think people have to really start adjusting to the reality that this isn't going to last very long. And I'll go out, I'll go out on a limb and say that. So before PlayStation 5 manufacturing is over at the end of its life cycle, Sony will be making only digital versions of the console. I think that I think so. Too. Dis- I think the disc version is going to be a version you're only going to see in the beginning yeah. and in the middle. I think they're going to find out since the digital version is inevitably going to be cheaper, first of all, that people are going to be going and migrating towards that. And so many games are not even available physically, including great games. So I think everything points towards this becoming more and more of a niche. I must admit, though, Chris, this is happening quicker than I thought it was gonna happen i I think the pandemic just sort of accelerated a lot of things yeah um and this is definitely one of them that i i feel like maybe this uh maybe this is happening significantly faster than it otherwise would have but it's happening regardless so get get ready because it's happening it's it's nice to feel like oh you know i miss buying like grand theft auto for 20 bucks but like when you when you when that kind of deal exists in an ecosystem where like you could get Game Pass for a dollar, you know, or when you could just spend like nine dollars that month and have PlayStation Plus and have these free games and shit or even or even just PlayStation now. It's just like I don't even know if used games really have the pull that they really used to, even just at their value, like monetarily. Yeah. And and <laughs> to, to expand on that, Chris, and we've talked about this on the show in the past because it, it was bouncing around for years. I know GameStop about 10 years ago was investigating this idea of used digital games, which is just like what? Like you, you like basically transferring licenses. I'm like the the no publisher or co- platform holder is gonna allow that. So it's it's basically it's basically done. Yeah. So get your used games while you can, you goddamn heathens. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. This is the big one here, Chris. If if not for those Sony sales and the state of play, this would definitely be the biggest story of the week. And a lot of people have a lot to say about it. Yeah. Number three, when Crystal Dynamics, the Avengers comes to PS4 on September 20th and PS5 when the console launches, it'll come packing a PlayStation exclusive character. None other than Spider-Man himself. 
This controversial news comes from a post on the official PlayStation blog, which notes that Spider-Man will be available in early 2021 to all players of PS4 and PS5 on PS4 and PS5 free of charge and on those consoles exclusively. Such news isn't a huge surprise. Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man in film form and segued that into a smash hit PS4 exclusive in the form of 2018 Spider-Man developed by Insomniac. But it's still royal to many gamers who think such exclusives should be a thing of the past. However, the exclusives PS4 and PS5 gamers will get in the Avengers run deeper. Players on both platforms will have 30-day exclusive access to all legendary outfits, legendary emotes, epic takedowns, and nameplates for each hero as he or she is released, according to a separate post on the official PlayStation blog. And PS Plus subscribers will get a free bundle with an exclusive rare outfit, nameplate, and 100 in-game credits. To help explain this decision for exclusivity, Crystal Dynamics co-head Scott Amos incoherently told website comicbook.com the following. By the way, did you see this? Before I read these quotes, did you see this? The stuff he said about... Uh, <laughs> about uh, This is the most incoherent shit I have ever heard. I haven't seen it, no. In my life. All right, so here's what he says. <laughs> When he's asked about Spider-Man's exclusivity, quote, so the beauty of Spider-Man and what Spider-Man represents as a character and as a world is, again, it comes back to the relationship with PlayStation and Marvel. We happen to be, and then ellipsis, once you can execute and deliver, when it comes down to choices of where and what Spider-Man can be, that's a relationship question that PlayStation absolutely has the rights to. That is, you guys know, with Sony's ownership there and Marvel and Sony saying, hey, this is something we can do. This is something we can do on this platform. And so... What we do as creators is say, this is an opportunity that we can make something unique and fun and awesome that we all, you just talked about Black Widow and to be able to have that experience. So we love the idea of being able to bring this character to the PlayStation players. As far as everybody goes, we just announced Hawkeye less than a week ago. We have two characters announced within a a matter of five days. The future is bright. People will get fixated on one thing as opposed to, oh, by the way, you're going to have hundreds of hours of content and years of storylines coming ahead of us and new worlds and regions and new heroes. And more stuff we haven't announced yet. But I really do think people will look at this and say, yeah, okay, we get that. We can understand the business behind that. But in general, we're making this game for everybody. We want this to be a place where you can get where you can play those superhero fantasies out with your Avengers team that continue growing with new characters, characters you ain't even guessed at yet that are going to come to this roster down the road and new regions as well. So I am very excited for what the future holds for everybody on all platforms. What the hell was that? (laughs) The beauty of Spider-Man. <laughs> How does that? He never even elaborated on that, really. Again, it comes back to the relationship with PlayStation and Marvel. Once you can execute and deliver, when it comes down to choices of where and what Spider-Man can be, that's a relationship question that PlayStation absolutely has the rights to. Okay, hey, this is something we can do. This is something we can do on this platform. It's like that is like one of the worst PR answers I've ever heard. And that's from a that's not from like some developer that was caught in a in the headlights. That's from the co-studio head of Crystal Dynamics. Really, really bad. So Cave wrote into us on Patreon and said, hi guys, with the news that Spider-Man will be playable character exclusively in the PlayStation version of the Avengers, there has been a lot of confusion about Sony's relationship with the character. I was wondering what you guys thought of this announcement and if you could possibly clear up any misunderstanding regarding the nature of the deal from your perspective. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Uh, Chris, what do you think of this? This was a pretty big point of contention. Now, I don't care about this game. So yeah, that cuts out my interest in the whole dilemma but what do you think yeah i mean i gotta say like i don't really i don't really care about this either but i will say that i i understand just from a base level because if you're going to have a if you're going to have a spider-man game that that's exclusive it's like all right that's kind of shitty but like whatever like it's an exclusive game but if you're going to have an avengers game and then 
The, it, it weirdly mirrors exactly what was happening in the cinematic in the, in the cinematic space because you had the Avengers movies which were kind of like everywhere like they were like uh, hypothetically multi-platform if you were to kind of like analogize it. It they were like this this big the MCU was this big like film franchise that everybody was like a part of everybody was coming in and then Sony was over there like with their own like separate Spider-Man movies, right? And they were just like, "Ah, no, he can't be a part of the Avengers. We want him." And then now you have this weird similar situation where it's like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man's in the Avengers, but only on PlayStation. It's like, I kind of understand that that's kind of irritating. But I also can't help but just not feel anything about this game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. First of all, the, the, the beta, I think by the time this is going to go live, is rolling. And the first beta is for PlayStation gamers only. So it was clear that Crystal Dynamics, Square Enix, and Sony were going to have a relationship over this. Yeah. To begin with. Now, as far as I understand, Sony has had the film rights to Spider-Man since the mid-80s and still has the rights. And I think that part of the rights, it's the same thing with what was going on with Fantastic Four and other things like where they have to continue to use the character. So wait, since the 80s? There's no way. Really? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Like the film rights. Hmm. No, you might be right. According to NBC News, it has had the rights since 1985. That's crazy. And I think they have to continue to use those rights in order to retain them, which is why Spider-Man has been rebooted like 17 times. And yeah. I know that they played nice with Marvel and Disney with, um, what was it? Uh, this, out of the Spider-Man movies, yeah. The MCU ones. Yeah, the right, exactly. So I think that the the business side of it is a little convoluted and I think a little frustrating for people. But you have to understand, if you were Sony, why would you relinquish the rights to the character? You don't have to. I mean, what does Sony really earn from playing nice with Microsoft here or playing nice with anyone? Spider-Man is relevant again. And he's relevant in this larger universe. And they've decided to make some money. And, and I think they got points on the film or whatever. So they, they did that. They did their exclusive Spider-Man game we're obviously getting miles morales on ps5 we're going to get a true spider-man 2 on ps5 as well so i i feel like well dustin johnson actually wrote into us and i feel like he kind of gets to the heart of the matter here on patreon he says hey kathana colin and cybernetic chris with the recent announcement of spider-man being exclusive to sony on marvel adventures what is your guys take on the outrage personally i find it perplexing in the sense that while not consumer friendly per se it does make perfect business sense sony is starting to build the association that spider-man equals playstation and is that not a good thing for them since when is it also Sony's job to cater to players outside its ecosystem? Isn't it their job to lure people to them, even if it does vex some players, even though there is outrage? I'm sure that since PlayStation keeps doing shrewd acts like this, it must be effective, especially towards the casual audience where most sales come from. Are gamers just entitled when it comes to exclusive exclusivities and what they expect? I am just saying friends Seinfeld in the office change hands on who has the streaming rights every few years, and I see no, no outrage there. Thanks, guys, for all you do. Been a fan since the Beyond days. What do you say, Chris? I don't know if that last comparison makes a lot of sense because a streaming platform is significantly less expensive than a, you know, a $400 machine or, or anything like, or even anything similar. But like, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, no, it makes sense that they like, they have no real reason to, uh, to not have the character. It makes perfect business sense, but it also, you know, I, 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 I can't prove this necessarily, but I, I do have a strong feeling that. If this had gone a different way, like if 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 Microsoft had secured somehow a Spider-Man exclusive, like tr a triple A Spider-Man exclusive game, 
I feel like a lot of people will be like, what the fuck? They're just locking Spider-Man behind a single platform? That's insane. Because Spider-Man is so... He's such a ubiquitous character that even though there's no like legal re- reason to argue that he should be everywhere, it's almost like everybody's feeling that that Spider-Man is just part of culture and it's weird that he would be just locked behind a single platform. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's fine. I understand why people are frustrated because it's just like, ah, you know, it's just exclusive content in general for games that are multi-platform is, is just kind of annoying. Uh, I've never been a fan of it, e- even just as somebody like back in the back in the 360 days, back when 360 was favored. I remember being like, so we get Call of Duty maps early. That's that's really weird. Like, I don't. Does that even really matter? Like, are are people really basing the the their choice on which which piece of plastic to buy based on which game is going to have Call of Duty maps like a week before. You yeah, it, it doesn't make like, I, I don't know. I, I just remember. I think you're right in the sense that I do remember when I was covering PS3 at IGN that Microsoft was getting a lot of the exclusives and PlayStation gamers were pissed. The exclusives maybe were not as extreme as this because we ended up getting them on PS3 eventually. But the GTA 4 DLC was exclusive, I think, for a year. Yeah, for, to Xbox. Uh, like you said, Call of Duty had a deep relationship with Microsoft and uh, the Fallout 3 DLC, all five pieces came to Xbox 360 far earlier than PS3. So it, it the frustration, the shoe's been on the other foot, let's say. And, and I do understand the frustration if you really only own one console or want to play on that console. But yeah. I think that this particular character and this particular company is a weird exception because Sony has the digital or the media rights to Spider-Man. So they they extracted a game out of it. They're extracting another game out of it. And I think it would be kind of weird then to see Spider-Man on on an Xbox console because to the point that was made in this letter uh, from Dustin, people have been associating Spider-Man with PlayStation. So it would cause some strange confusion. I think the only other option would have been to say, like, we'll put Spider-Man on the X or allow Spider-Man on the Xbox version. But there's got to be some sort of association with our version of the game. So Hmm. uh, so it's like a reference to our Spider-Man, our world. And if and if they're comfortable having that on Xbox, then they can have it. Maybe I would have done that. Well, the the thing that complicates that is that Spider-Man is in Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which is on Switch. Mm. So it's like it's this weird kind of like, all right, is he exclusive or what? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, what exactly is happening and why of all games to like arbitrarily enforce this exclusivity, which obviously you didn't for Ultimate Alliance. Why would you then keep him out of an Avengers game on an entire platform on multiple platforms, actually, because it's coming to PC? Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's so a good point. The, 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 the rights to Spider-Man is just such a minefield in general where it's just like, who, who the hell owns what? Like Sony like makes merchandising rights off of the film or something. And like and then uh, Disney makes money off the film itself. And it's just like, what is this weird I, I don't know. Spider-Man should be in the in the public domain at this point. Like it's 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 so f- fucking confusing just to navigate any of this. I need to read more about it, Chris, but I feel like Marvel was making these deals when they were re- in really bad shape. Oh yeah, no, they definitely were, yeah. And I so I think that they just didn't mind I I guess they didn't mind like the the, the extreme decades-long fiascos that would produce out of this because they were on the verge of not existing at all yeah for sure and i and i I know that they've reclaimed some of this stuff over time but yeah it's it is kind of like i'm sure also that they've offered sony a a shit ton of money just to reacquire it 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. See, my whole thing is like Sony should say, like, you can have Spider-Man and we want a small percentage of Disney, you know, like like some fraction of a percent of Disney's net revenue or something like that. I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, without a doubt. (laughs) You know, then you don't have to worry about then you then Sony owns a little piece of Disney. They can relinquish Spider-Man. So the fans are happy. And maybe there's some sort of uh, caveat where the games will remain on PlayStation because you're right. If there was a Spider-Man game on Xbox, people would have been really upset uh, about that. And they and people were upset about Spider-Man on PlayStation, but maybe just not as loudly as we would have otherwise heard it. So I, I just think that Dustin makes a good point here where it's not really Sony's job to please anyone but its own audience. So this still yeah, remains yeah. everyone else's problem. Right? That is like true. They want they, they want to. We do talk about all angles on this show. We're not just talking from a consumer standpoint. We are consumers. We're enthusiasts. But from Sony's perspective, this is a great deal. Mm-hmm. This is like an amazing, just like with the Spider-Man game from Insomniac. Like, of course you want that. If it hurts Microsoft, that's good for them. That's that we want to hurt Microsoft if we're Sony, right? So, uh, and I'm not saying we, I'm saying the royal we, if we, if we work yeah. in Sony. So we'll see what happens, man. I don't know. But yeah, yeah this has been a bit, this has been a big, uh, big fiasco but the avengers comes out i think in uh, just about five weeks so we'll finally see if people care about it yeah, if you, I, yeah. <laughs> I have my doubts this could be one of those games that i'm totally wrong about i just i don't think it looks very good got got serious anthem vibes from it i think a lot of people are going to play it and i think the population is probably going to dwindle pretty quick i think is, is my is my prediction we will find out you can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number four, over on the official PlayStation blog, Sony has illuminated some key details pertaining to how PlayStation 4 peripherals will function on PlayStation 5. Perhaps the most important detail is that, yes, the DualShock 4 will work on PS5, but perhaps not surprisingly, it will not function with PS5 games, only PS4 games. PlayStation 4's PS camera, on the other hand, will work with PS5 to help play PSVR games. It will require a free adapter, however, which Sony will discuss at a later date. 
Speaking of PSVR, the PlayStation Move controllers first launched a decade ago on PS3 will function with PS5 via PSVR, and both gold and platinum headsets will work with PS5 in addition to licensed racing wheels, arcade sticks, and flight sticks for PS4 software only. So this also created some consternation. Captain Canada wrote into us on Patreon and said, hey, CNC Podcast Factory, what's up? With Sony saying PS4 controllers won't work with the next-gen games on PS5. Seems like a pretty shitty move to force DualSense sales. I know the new controller will have some unique features, but based on the lackluster implementation of DS4 features this gen, I find it hard to believe the DualSense will actually be a mandatory to play many upcoming games. Thanks for making Fridays great again. Hmm. So, Chris, I actually deal with half of what he's saying here. He's saying, I find it hard to believe the DualSense will be actually mandatory to play many upcoming games. I agree. Uh, we, we've heard yeah. the same song and dance with DualShock 4. It really isn't necessary. But it's not a huge surprise that the console is going to require you to use its controller to play the game simply by virtue that they exist together. The PS4 controller, the DualShock 4, uh, works on PS3. But you can't use certain things on You can't like do certain things with it. So it's not a huge surprise that it's a little bit gimped on PlayStation 5. But what do you make of this, uh, this whole DualShock, DualSense fiasco that's playing out now? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's weird that you could still use it on the next generation system, but then it would arbitrarily stop working if you played a new game, even though there are no there's no new buttons on the controller. Like it's 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 the same layout. Like there's not like an extra button or like there's not like less buttons. It it's I don't know. It's it just seems a little bizarre to me that it only functions kind of on the next generation like i feel like i would have almost just preferred them to just sort of say nah you need the dual sense to to play on the playstation 5 period i feel like i almost would have preferred that to this because it's just like because then you're just gonna have to have this weird situation where it's like all right well well my my dual sense is uh what is it is it's uh out of battery or something i'll use my ps4 controller all right i can navigate the menus all right ah, i could play some games like and then you start off Spider-Man Miles Morales and you're like oh shit I can't all right so now I got to do this weird song and dance where I switch the controller it's just it seems like weirdly convoluted in a way that doesn't really need to be because I know that the DualSense has features like new features like I know that there's like ah haptic feedback and like a motor in the triggers but none of that really puts it at odds with the general controller layout of the DualShock you know, yeah, I'm I'm of two minds with this because I think with a new console comes new controllers and the expectation you're going to play the new game with the new controller. Yeah, and if you buy a PlayStation Five, you're going to have a DualShock or a DualSense controller. Yeah, right? yeah. you're gonna. Uh, so this seems kind of trivial to me. I think the only thing where it's not trivial is if you're playing maybe a multiplayer game. You don't want to buy what will probably be an eighty dollar or more DualSense controller. I I get that, but. That's like a really minimal thing. There's not many people playing local multiplayer anymore. When you buy a PS5, you're going to get a DualSense controller. I feel like this is a much much ado about nothing, really. This particular argument, from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of this is trivial anyway, because we're talking about like, you know, a video hunk, games? A hunk of plastic that's going yeah. to play a video game to distract us from the cold, seething end of the world. But I think... I, I, I do think it's trivial, but at the same time, I do think it's a little bit weird to kind of, it feels like a half measure almost to me, you know, where it seems like, ah, oh, we want, we want your investment in PlayStation 4 to carry over to PS5 in some way. We want your digital games to come with you in some capacity. We want your controller to come with you 
in some capacity, but not really all the way. And it's and it's just seems weird because I don't see anything about the dual sense specifically as far as like a compatibility standpoint with previous games that would really necessitate you n- having to use the controller. I feel I feel like having to use the new controller should be like a bonus because you're all going to have it anyway. Like you're not really going to use your DualShock 4 or your your PS4 controller. But like, I don't know, it would be nice to kind of have that option even though it's not really something that people are going to really care about. I just think it's it just looks less flexible as a result and that just sort of is a little bit underwhelming. I don't think it's a big deal to really anybody, but I don't know. It is something that's just a little bit awkward as far as like how these things are going to interact with the previous versions of themselves. Well, I think they're wise anyway from a marketing standpoint in getting this stuff out of the way early. It reminds yeah, me of the sure. antithesis of Vita where they started talking about Vita memory cards like two weeks before it came out. Oh, yeah. The proprietary memory cards. But so they're, they're kind of just getting this all out into the ether, which I think is is smart. It's funny because there are PlayStation 3 era stuff like the move controllers that will work. And the the biggest thing, we knew the PS4 camera would work, but you're going to need an adapter. So this suggests that the new camera will have its own adapter and obviously it'll work with PSVR 2 when that's a thing. But the most enticing part of this is that the adapter is free. Yeah. So I don't know. Is is Sony going to... They said they have details on this later. They're going to have to have details on it soon because people are going to want to play PSVR immediately on PS5. But... How are they going to prove that you? Like, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how they're not going to charge for this adapter. I'm really intrigued to see how this works, because that puts them on the hook for potentially five or six million of these little things. Assume half of them are even being used. So like two and a half million or three million of these little things are going to ship these things out for free. The people, I don't know. It just sounds sounds unlikely, but that's what yeah. they say. Sounds a little weird. We'll have more details on that at a later date. Number five, Street Fighter V is getting a new major update, according to a post on the official PlayStation blog written by a representative from publisher slash developer Capcom. The biggest news is that the game is getting a slew of new characters, including Dan, Rose, Oro, and Akira. Dan first appeared in 1995's Street Fighter Alpha as a sort of comical and goofy version of Ryu and Ken. I love Dan. One of my favorite Street Fighter characters. I forgot well. about he, him. He's so people, if people don't know Dan, <laughs> his whole thing is that like he's like a blowhard uh, like Ken or Ryu type character, but he like isn't powerful. So like he used to be he like and he taunts and does all this crazy shit, but like he throws a fireball and it just comes out of his hand, but it doesn't go anywhere. And so like that, <laughs> I absolutely love that character. Dan Habiki, I think his name is. He last appeared in 2009's Street Fighter 4. Rose also made her first appearance in Street Fighter Alpha and her last appearance in Street Fighter 4. Oro made his first appearance in the controversial 1999 and 2000 era game Street Fighter 3 Third Strike and hasn't been playable since. And finally, Akira isn't from Street Fighter at all. She's actually from Capcom's beloved fighting game Rival Schools, which came to PS1 in 1998. It's another great game. Street Fighter V is a PS4 console exclusive that first launched in 2016 and has been continuously supported since, including with the championship edition of the game, which came out earlier this year. That's what these updates are for. It's I always forget this game is not on Xbox. This is a really conspicuous third party exclusive game. Yeah. And uh, I forgot that, too. Yeah. So Street Fighter five getting updated. Super cool to see a character from rival schools in there. It's a great game. Uh, again, I'm a big fan of Dan Oro, a little bit of a Street Fighter three throwback. Did Dan have like a really like stupid run animation? I feel like I remember him having like a really silly walk cycle. 
Yeah, I think he yeah, he does have a weird walk cycle and he does like his he does like these weird roles and stuff like that. <laughs> He's great. I love Street, Street Fighter Alpha, especially Street Fighter Alpha three on PS one is in my mind, my favorite fighting game. I love that game. Just love it. So many great characters, such a great cast, diverse cast of characters in it. So we have that to look forward to as well. If you're a Street Fighter five fan in the so-called fighting game community. The under siege fighting game community after everything that happened with Evo lately. Yeah. Number six. Some news has emerged about this year's Call of Duty, which Activision has been uncharacteristically mum about, though all signs point to a game called Call of Duty Modern Warfare Cold War. Jesus Christ. Or no, I'm sorry. Isn't it Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War? Yeah. 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 it's It's a Treyarch game. Will be launched later this year, likely alongside the new consoles, but available on current gen as well. For starters, website IGN relays word from a recent Activision earnings call in which the company notes that the game will be officially revealed soon and that, quote, the game looks incredible right now internally. People are having a ton of fun playing across its campaign mode, as well as the online mode the developers are very well known for, end quote. Further confirmation of a single player campaign will be welcome news to COD fans who aren't necessarily guaranteed a campaign after 2018's Call of Duty Black Ops 4 launched without one, though last year's COD iteration Modern Warfare did include one. Activision-owned studios Treyarch and Raven are collaborating on the game, even though Sledgehammer Games is due up in the typical Activision 3 studio rotation. When the game was rumored to not be coming together behind the scenes, Sledgehammer's project was canceled, with the studio working alongside Infinity Ward on last year's Modern Warfare. Treyarch, on the other hand, is best known for its Black Ops Call of Duty games, which began in 2010, though the studio also created Call of Duty 2, Call of Duty 3, and World at War, one of my favorites. Raven has been has long been in a support role on Call of Duty going back to 2010's original Black Ops and hasn't released an original game since 2010 FPS Singularity. I love that game. Activision also noted on the call that the free to play Battle Royale Call of Duty Warzone will include, quote, a very tight integration, end quote, with the unannounced game. Mm. Uh, All right. So Treyarch, we knew was going to be leading this up. Raven in support. Sledgehammer taken off the project. We knew that as of last year. Aren't you intrigued what went wrong? Yeah. With their game? Yeah. I'm really, really curious because I mean, no offense to anybody who works on Call of Duty, but like, I, I feel like it can't be that difficult, like in the grand scheme of things to figure out how to just, <laughs> this does this is going to sound offensive, but how to make the same game again, but slightly different because that's really what Call of Duty is. And I think that's like the, what the niche is. And I think people are fine with that. I feel like people like that. I feel like people expect that there's like a sense of familiarity with that. But uh, man, they really must have like, they really must have done something in in. in I it was either insanely bad or probably like really good and really ambitious, and they were like, nah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those are the only two things that I could really see happening. It was either really like a huge shit show, or it was or it was gonna be like Death Stranding, like something that was just like stupidly <laughs> like different. Just not a Call of Duty game at all. Yeah, just like a third person kind of spy thriller. <laughs> they were just like, uh, what? It's interesting because Sledgehammer's troubles are not necessarily unique. Treyarch had so much trouble with uh, Black Ops 4 that the single player campaign was canceled. So and they still put the game out. So it seems like maybe issues are starting to mount a little bit more for these various studios. Three years is still pretty quick to make these games. Treyarch had to kind of jump on this out of nowhere. So they're totally out of cycle now. And uh, I've said over and over again, I would really be interested to see what Raven could do by itself. Yeah, I don't think that that's ever going to happen. I really loved that 2010 first-person shooter Singularity. I thought it was really clever and interesting, but it didn't sell very well. I, there's a story about Singularity that I heard a long time ago about how they kind of made it without permission. 
<laughs> and and you know they were making they were supporting other games and they kind of made this game and it was basically done or at least like you know there and so they were just like fine just finish it and so they put it out but that was 10 years ago it's incredible that they haven't put out a game they also put out that really good wolverine game raven made that really great third person action wolverine game. oh uh origins yeah right? yeah that was a great game that was really stupid good for no reason so i would love to see raven kind of get back out of their weird uh hibernation state yeah they're, they're in wisconsin too which i always found fascinating I mean, it's also been it's also been so long that it's arguably not really the same Raven anymore. That's also true. That's also true indeed. Uh, Cole Chason or Chison. I so I've known a, I've heard this name spelled both uh, said both ways. Chison, C H I A S S O N, and I've heard Chason. Yeah. So I don't know which is which. Says hello, boys. Long time, first time. What are your thoughts on Activision still holding COD 2020 so close to the best? It will likely be a launch game for next gen alongside current gen, but we don't know anything. Understandably, announcing it in their usual spring and summer would have dampened Modern Warfare and Warzone's massive success. But this will be a shockingly short window for announce from announcement to release. Everybody knows it's coming similar to Fallout 4, but even they had five to six months before release. We're looking at three months, assuming an official announcement this month. Do you think we could see a similar short window release strategy for other massive games like GTA? Similar to how giant artists can afford to drop an album whenever they want without the usual singles and promo. I know Colin has pointed to Fallout 4 as an interesting experiment with COD going even shorter. It's an, an idea worth exploring. Thanks from one seaman to another. Thank you, Cole. It is kind of weird how they've not said anything about it yet. I'm not entirely sure Warzone has anything to do with it because you think you would... Warzone's free, so you think just call, talking about Call of Duty and the next Call of Duty and drawing to Warzone, which could already be played for free, would be beneficial. I feel like they haven't said anything because I don't think the game is probably in great shape yet yeah but, uh, they're, they're definitely gonna get it out this fall they haven't missed a fall i don't think uh no ever they'll cut something you know they'll cut something to make that deadline i think this year in general is just um really strange for a lot of developers i feel like a lot of things are a lot more behind schedule than they usually are i get the feeling that they probably would have talked about call of duty already had microsoft and sony already announced release dates and prices because I think that whenever they're whenever they plan on showing Call of Duty needs to be the day that they also kind of tell you when it's available. That's typically how it's been like they typically like I, I think I remember like uh, for Ghosts or something that they announced it like super early. Like they announced like the release date and like when it would when it would be out. And we still don't even know when these machines are coming out or even if they're <laughs> realistically, we don't even really know if they're coming out in november maybe even later somehow if, if things it's such an uncharacteristically strange year that it's really difficult to predict any of this so i feel like they're just like either the game is not in good shape and they really need more time to to spruce it up before they show it to the public or the game is ready but they they can't say anything about it because the big two haven't really disclosed enough information for them to really have the blowout that they want we'll see how this all plays out i agree with you i'm not the I'm not a totally sold on the consoles coming out this year. I, I know that, that that's the intent, but they're really taking their time. It's yeah, it's a bit it's a bit much. So I don't yeah, I don't know. I don't know about all this. We'll find out, I guess. Number seven, some new notable sales data has been released from other publishers too, all in the name of their respective fiscal years. For starters, Capcom has revealed that the cumulative Resident Evil franchise, which began back in 1996 and has run through this year with Resident Evil 3 Remake, has surpassed 100 million units sold 
sitting at 103 million copies more precisely. 2.7 million of those copies come from the aforementioned Resident Evil 3 remake. Resident Evil's 5, 6, and 7 remain the best-selling games in the franchise at more than 7 million units sold each, with the original Resident Evil 2 at 6.6 million units, the first game at 5 million units, and the original Resident Evil 3 Nemesis at 3.5 million units. Meanwhile, Capcom's Monster Hunter franchise, started back on PS2 in 2004, has sold a cumulative 64 million units, with 2018's Monster Hunter World and its standalone expansion Iceborne at 16 million and 5.8 million sold, respectively. Developer Quantic Dream also revealed that its adventure game Detroit Become Human, which first came to PS4 in 2018 and PC in 2019, has surpassed 5 million units sold. Detroit was at one time a PlayStation exclusive developed with second-party resources, though Quantic Dream has since revealed its plans to go multi-platform moving forward. So that's big sales for uh, Detroit. Yeah. 5 million units. I think Detroit's awesome, personally. So It's cool. It's a cool game. You can play that on PS4 and PC. And it is a cool game, isn't it? It is. It's very neat. Number eight, Sony has revealed the most downloaded games on the PlayStation Network, this time for the month of July. The top 20 most downloaded games during the month for PS4 were in order, not surprisingly. Ghost of Tsushima, Minecraft, Grand Theft Auto V, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, The Last of Us Part II, Far Cry 3 Classic Edition, Far Cry 5, Spider-Man, The Forest, Rainbow Six Siege, Madden NFL 20, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, FIFA 20, Need for Speed Heat, MLB The Show 20, Red Dead Redemption 2, Cuphead, which I think was only available for like one or two days, Dragon Ball Fighters, Ark Survival Evolved, and Skater XL. The top 10 most downloaded PSVR games for the month were in order, Iron Man VR, Beat Saber, Super Hot VR, The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, Gorn, Job Simulator, Astrobot Rescue Mission, Arizona Sunshine, Creed Rise to Glory, and Moss, which is an awesome game. Call of Duty Warzone, Fortnite, and Apex Legends were the month's most downloaded free-to-play games, and Fortnite and Call of Duty Modern Warfare both dominated the DLC and expansion charts. Josh Naylor wrote into us and said, hey, baby boys, did anyone realize that Iron Man VR was released a month ago already? Absolutely no one is talking about this game, and I really can't blame them. The game looks truly awful outside of the airplane demo that we were shown during the game's state of play reveal. Is PSVR an inevitable failure? As an early adopter, I am very saddened by this lost opportunity for greatness. Um, I've heard good things about Iron Man VR, personally. I yeah. haven't heard anything bad about it. I, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything about it, really. Yeah. Like, so I, I guess that's his point. Yeah. yeah so, like, I, I guess it's not like the breakout. You know, obviously, you hear about Beat Saber, you know, and Half-Life Alex because they're, like, kind of, like, amazing VR titles. But, like, I guess, I guess the, I, the general consensus that I'm seeing from Iron Man VR is that it's fine which is arguably not something that it needs to be if it's trying to get people into this very, very niche, this already niche on top of niche on top of niche subgenre of video game. You know, something on VR needs to be really exceptional to to really draw people in. And I think that's really the problem with VR is that, like, you have this thing that so few people have and that so few people engage with in comparison to the, to the broader swath of your player base in your community that allocating the resources to making something that is truly exceptional for it is kind of inherently stupid. It, it, it really is just like a really tricky space to navigate. To Josh's question, is PSR VR and VR an inevitable failure? No, I, I still think it's relative. PSVR is by far the best selling VR unit in the history of gaming. Yeah. And that has to count for something like oh, the definitely. most people that are interested in VR have it on PlayStation. And that's not something you want to just relinquish. So I really think PSVR's make or break moment is going to be on PS5 
Yeah. And they're going to release a new one that the Bloomberg noted that a long time ago. That's not a huge surprise. They need to because they need to figure out a way to up the resolution and all of that. It's just not going to be acceptable on PS5. But I don't think it's a failure at all. I don't play it like I thought I would when it came out in 2016. I was playing it a lot in 2016, 2017. So I'm certainly part of the problem, but people like it. I mean, we got a lot of letters about it. And Iron Man VR selling being the best selling game on there shows that people are somewhat engaged. Otherwise, you would just see the same games over and over again that are cheap. Yeah. But Iron Man VR is like a $40 game. So to see it at the top of the list is it's pretty good. That's, and yeah, um, that's a good sign for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know what, what, how many copies did it sell. I mean, my my here's my guess on how many copies Iron Man VR sold. Let's say like one hundred and twenty five thousand copies or something like that. That's that's my guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, that would, that's not great, but it's, it's better than zero copies. It's good for VR. You know, VR is is uh, traditionally very niche. So one hundred twenty five thousand for that's pretty good. I'm, I'm honestly kind of stoked to see Far Cry 3 Classic on there. <laughs> me too. I love I, Far Cry 3. I, oh, me too. And I just platinumed it again, the Classic Edition, because Dagan and I did a knockback episode about it. And uh, yeah, it was, it's still great. It's still a great game. What's the really, difference really between it. just Far Cry 3 and the Classic Edition? Is there like... There is no difference, really. It's just a port. It's just like up Yeah, it's like up I think, a, a more solid frame rate and playable on PS4. You know, eh, so eh, That's good. I don't know if it's as big of a deal on Xbox One if it's in Far Cry 3's in backwards compatibility or whatever. It could be like the Bioshock collection where it's not even necessary, but yeah, but yeah, I played it and uh, recently and yeah, Far Cry 3 really holds up. I love Far Cry. So yeah, cool to see it in there. And obviously we still see games like The Forest in there. It's not it's worth noting that The Last of Us Part 2 is number five, which is a little surprising, but maybe maybe people have gotten their fill and everyone who bought it was going to or was going to buy it bought it already i mean it's also it's also number five behind like minecraft grand theft auto 5 and call of duty modern warfare so it's not sure it's not exactly a loss sure no definitely not and you see some sports games still bubbling up even though the new ones are coming out soon fifa 20 nfl madden 20 both of these are on the verge of being re-released in their 21 version so that's interesting mlb the show is is probably cranking because of uh, the baseball season coming back. And yeah, it's cool to see Cuphead on here. I really think I, I'll look real quick, quick, but I think Cuphead was only on PS4 for like a day or two. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, it came out on July 28th, 30 days half September. So 31 days. So three days, 28, 29, 30, no, technically four days. It's still interesting to see it on there, though. Uh, at that position. So, yeah. Shout out to Cuphead. Number nine, if you've been listening to our show weekly, you'll know that the claims of sexual impropriety at publisher Ubisoft have resulted in a massive reshuffling of its executive suite. One of the names involved was Tommy Francois. Doesn't get much more French than that. (laughs) Who has been on leave from the company since he, amongst many others, were accused of sexual harassment in particular. Website Business Insider has thus reported that Francois has been fired. Francois's role was VP of Editorial and Creative Services working out of Paris and was considered the lieutenant of Serge Hascott, Ubisoft's longtime creative lead, who resigned in July. Francois has directing, producing, and editorial credits on Ubisoft games going back to 2010, and can be found in the credits of essentially every Ubisoft game since. Kind of tired of talking about this, but I feel like we should update nonetheless. Mm. So Tommy Francois is out as Ubisoft reshuffles. And number 10, speaking of Ubisoft, it looks like nothing will stop the video game movie adaptation train. The next game up for a film, according to The Hollywood Reporter, is Beyond Good and Evil. What? A Michelle Ancel-directed and written game that originally came to PS2 and elsewhere in late 2003. 
While there was a remastered version of the game released in 2011 on PS3, its long-rumored and then long-in-development sequel was revealed at Ubisoft's 2017 E3 press conference. However, very little has been seen since. But like with Netflix working on a Splinter Cell show, also a Ubisoft IP, that such a so-called hybrid live-action animated feature, in quotes, could indicate that a game is also en route. And this is a complimentary product. Interestingly, Rob Letterman, who directed Detective Pikachu, will be undertaking this project too. So, so they're making a Beyond Good and Evil show? Like, I, where's, where's Beyond Good and Evil 2, dude? Yeah, I don't really, I don't really get it. Because Beyond Good and Evil, I don't know. First of all, I, I like Beyond Good and Evil. I played it when it came out. I had it on, I think I had it on Xbox, actually. It's not, I don't understand why, like, everyone's so excited about, about this. It's, it's just weird. Beyond Good and Evil is now a 17-year-old one-off game. Most people have not played it. I think some people are, cons- are first of all, the game sold like shit, too, people might remember, which is why I never got a sequel to begin with. And then they re-reveal it at 2017, but with Michelle Ancel doing it, there's no real reason to be to be uh, optimistic about it. I think we actually have, do we have a question about this later? Yes, there is an, there is actually a question. We'll t- I'm going to save it because Michelle Ansel is also working on another game and uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll, let's just save it. And we'll okay. Get to that yeah. later on. But uh, nonetheless, beyond good and evil movie or no TV show, Netflix, it, it, it's a mixture of live action cartoon. Like we said, great Rob, Rob Letterman, detective Pikachu's director doing it. I don't know, Chris. I, when I saw this, I was kind of happy for you because I'm like, this has to be an indication that they're bringing these games back. Yeah, you'd uh, you'd think, but like, I don't know. I've, I've uh, I I just don't. Here's the thing: that in a in an ideal world where everybody makes sense, that's true, right? And I would believe you. I'd be like, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. But at the same time, I've I've been given I've been given no reason to assume that that's the case because they've been teasing Splinter Cell for fucking years at this point like a ridiculous like i think 2017 they mentioned it too or like 2016 there was like a brief mention of splinter cell it's like really what's happening and it's been six it's been four years and i'm like all right look dude you know i'm I'm just getting impatient here you let me know (laughs) when when you've got something real but until i see something with my own eyes i'm not gonna I'm not going to assume that anything is just set in stone or that like a game is really going to exist. You know, we'll we'll, we'll see, man. I don't know. Yeah, I, I totally understand that that rationale. I think it's safe, a safe way to go through one's life. Mm-hmm. Number 11. There's, of course, something else to keep an eye on. Sega's president and chief publishing officer Kenji Matsubara has randomly resigned from parent company Sega Sammy Holdings and a comically vague statement from Sega Sammy. People should go look this thing up. It merely notes that Matsubara is resigning, quote unquote, for personal reasons. According to website Games Industry International, Matsubara joined Sega in 2014 and rose to its president and board member in 2017. He also worked for a couple of years at Zynga and before that was president and CEO of Japanese niche publisher Koei Tecmo. This is interesting just because this could be for health reasons. This could be because something happened, whatever the case might be. But I saw that this was just underreported and I was like, this is a pretty big deal that the head of Sega resigned. Yeah. But nonetheless, he's gone. Kenji Matsubara. We'll keep an eye on that. Hopefully his health. He's in good health and all of that. Hopefully it has nothing to do with like a some sort of impropriety. Yeah, that's always my assumption now. 
Yeah, the, yeah, right. That does seem like to be the the rhyme of this particular song. But um, I man, I'm always really off put when I'm remember when I when I'm reminded that uh, the company is called Sega Sammy. Yes, yeah, Sega Sammy Holdings. Very glamorous name, nonetheless. Number 12, PlayStation Now is getting a few new key games in August that are worth mentioning for starters. The episodic Hitman 2, developed and published by IO Interactive in 2018, has come to the streaming service and will be available until early 2021. The procedurally generated side-scrolling action RPG Dead Cells, also first uh, released on PS4 in 2018 from French studio Motion Twin, is coming to the service until early 2021 as well. And finally, the action RPG Greedfall which recently surpassed a million copies sold and comes from developer Spiders, is also now available for PlayStation Now subscribers. I love that name. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's a nice little cacophony here of uh, games. Mm-hmm. Hitman 2. You like Hitman 2? Yeah, I love Hitman 2. I like Dead Cells too. Like, this is actually... A pre- I haven't played Greedfall, but this this seems like a pretty good swath of, uh, swath of titles. I agree. PlayStation Now subscriptions. Go get them if you like. I still don't have one, so don't take it from me. And finally, number 13 is a wrap-up. Developer slash publisher Arc System Works has confirmed that its upcoming fighting game Guilty Gear Strive, already due out on PS4 in early 2021, will also be coming to PlayStation 5 at that time. Website Gamatsu reports that platformer Okuno KA Madness is coming to PS4 on September 8th. That puzzle game Ever Forward comes to PS4 this winter. That procedurally generated 2D compilation The Alto Collection comes to PS4 on August 13th. That beat-em-up Ogre Tale is coming to PS4 on August 20th. That tactical RPG Necromunda Underhive Wars is coming to PS4 on September 8th. That survival horror game Tor- Tormented Souls is coming to PS4 at some point in 2021. That brawler Nine Monkeys in Shaolin is coming to PS4 on October 16th. And that strategy RPG Wintermore Tactics Club will come to PS4 on September 10th. Website Push Square reports that Wipeout-like game Pacer is coming to PS4 on September 17th. Publisher Electronic Arts has revealed that its recently released multiplayer game Rocket Arena is already available for free via EA Access. Not a huge surprise. I called that failure a mile away, by the way. People should go look back. <laughs> that game went from that game went from $30 to like $20 to $5 to free in like two weeks. Yeah. So to say that it bombed is uh, probably an understatement. Rockstar has revealed that Grand Theft Auto V, which we already knew would be on PS5 alongside GTA, on, GTA Online, will have content exclusive to next-gen consoles available in 2021, though it remains to be seen what the nature of that content will specifically be. And finally, publisher Bethesda revealed that both Doom Eternal and The Elder Scrolls Online will get native PlayStation 5 versions of those games, including a free upgrade for those who already own the PS4 iterations. Good, good, good. So not too bad here. All right, so Chris, it's time to get into the new game releases. We have a few things to talk about here before we do. Kirk wrote in and said, hey, guys, I've got a serious problem with your version of the drop. You don't say the name of the game enough. It's not the same if we don't hear the name of each game three or four times in the description. <laughs> How else will we remember what game you started describing 11 seconds before? Thanks and keep on keeping on. Thank you very much, Kirk, for that. We'll try to use the name of the game more. And uh, Philippe Martinez wrote in and said, hi, colonoscopy, Colin and, and endoscopy, Chris. I've gotten both of those. Oh, good. W- what about the review bombing on Fall Guys? Personally, I think it's a clear portrait on the dumb, stupid, moronic sack of dipshits that the gaming community is full of. Same turds that spoiled The Last of Us 2 and and cry when something it's not up to their shitty standards. It's an indie title in their first day. Give the guy some slack for fuck's sake. Cheers for Madrid. I wanted to bring that up here just because we talked only briefly about Fall Guys, and that's one of the games that came out this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did you think about the review bombing of their games? They actually tweeted out and asked people to stop. Yeah, uh, and they did it in 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 a pretty... 
real reasonable way i thought like i i don't know like the, the fact that they got review bomb just because you know they're a small independent studio their servers probably got overloaded they probably didn't anticipate that the game would be this massive like success on 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 twitch and like on on all sorts of gaming platforms in general like everybody seems to have played it at least once or is playing it regularly it feels shitty to see like a specifically an independent studio get like review bombed for something that's really not even really about the game really and more about just server upkeep that's like kind of shitty i don't like i don't i don't support review bombing in general i think it's just it, it's lying for protest and i just find that that's like a really stupid method you know yeah definitely i think it's stupid as shit and unfair as well yeah not big on it so fall guys ultimate knockout did come out this week on ps4 it's free mm-hmm. on ps plus a game called chess also came out to ps4 and a mobile suit gundam game called mobile suit gundam extreme versus maxi boost on came to ps4 what a name however th- there are other games that have come out this week chris are they now but before we get to them do any of these games are any of these games games you know uh let me see let me see let me see nah nah I've, all right I've, perfect I've, I've never heard of any of these now let's tell people what they are. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? What? Okay, so one of these, one of these, I've we've heard of before. I swear to God, I've read this. But Wizards Wand of oh, Episcosity. Yeah, yeah you have. because I remember yeah. having problems saying that word. But we'll get to it when we when we get to it. I guess. Well, tradition dictates you begin. Okay. So I throw it over to you. Buried Stars comes to PS4. Buried Stars is a game about buried stars, and you have to. You got to dig them up. You got to dig them up because it's dark outside at night and we've lost electricity because of this powerful storm in on the on the East Coast. We got to get everybody's power back up. Let's get let's get those stars back up in the sky. Get the moonlight back. Come on. You don't want to be standing around in the dark. What are you some invalid? That's buried stars. (laughs) (laughs) Family mysteries, poisonous promises. (laughs) Comes to PS4. So Family Mysteries is a, a series, a new series of games. Uh, takes place in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan in Canada. And it's about a family that doesn't much like each other. Kind of like a, a, a there's kind of like a schism here. I don't want to say like a Hatfield and McCoy's. It's just one family. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Poisonous Promises, which is the first game, uh, the mom, mom and pa, as they're called, the mom and pa character, mom and pa, uh, both end up dead. They thought they were going to trip mushrooms. Oh, wow. But they took some sort of poisonous mushrooms and uh, they were promised that these mushrooms weren't poisonous, that they in fact let them trip balls. And so these poisonous promises were indeed broken. And that's Family Mysteries. Poisonous Promises coming to PS4. It is a walking simulator slash adventure game. All right. Fantasy General 2 Invasion comes to PS4. Have you ever fantasized about being a general as well? Well, here in this in this game, you get to invade whatever the hell you want in uh, Saskatchewan, uh, Crimea, uh, Sears uh, and Roebuck Holdings, anything, <laughs> anything you could think about, anything that you could fantasize, you can invade with your, your newly acquired general skills. And that's that's Fantasy General 2 Invasion on PS4. Hellpoint comes to PS4. So Hellpoint is about the is about. The point in which you arrive at hell. So hell, if you look at it, if you really look at hell as a, a piece of geography, it's a triangle. Mm-hmm. And the, the apex is at the top near the, the, the 
core of the earth. Or I'm sorry, near the the uh, the crust of the earth. And then it gets wider and wider until the base of the pyramid is at the mantle and near the core of the earth. And so Hellpoint has you finding in an archaeological dig this secret entrance to hell. And then about the misadventures that occur once you enter. Nice. That's Hellpoint on PS4. Yes. Naughty comes to PS4. This is a prequel to Naughty Bear before the bears are even brought up, before the bears even come into the picture. Uh, this is just the ge- general concept of Naughty. It's I, I, The art style is really difficult to explain <laughs> because I haven't conceptualized it yet. But you play as the general concept of naughtiness and, and you, you infect different species uh, and, and try, to, try to wreak havoc and mischief uh, in their own unique uh unique ways and that's that's naughty i guess all right i don't know memory lane comes to ps4 memory lane is a bowling game but you bowl on different lanes from the past and you have a lot of nostalgia and it brings you back the smells the sights the sounds of disco in the 1970s of greasy nachos and hot dogs in the pre-covid era you would never put your hand and a bowling ball and then eat food now. But back in the <laughs> 80s, you sure as hell would. And that's what Memory Lane is all about. It's about the way we used to bowl. Hmm. Memory Lane on PS4. It's good. Uh, okay, let's see. Nowhere Profit comes to PS4. Nowhere Profit is a game about making Rocket Arena. Um, where you... <laughs> that was mean. Uh, it's, it's a game where you start a business and uh, it fails. And then you have to... You're overcome with vengeance, so you you try and tank every other business that exists, and that's uh that's nowhere profit. Sounds like capitalism. Yeah, basically. Pixelbot Extreme comes to PS4. Pixelbot Extreme is a 2D side scroller roguelite, and Pixelbot is it, it's kind of the name's kind of supposed to be ironic because when you look at Pixelbot, he's only a few pixels and he's not extreme at all. In fact, Pixelbot's like a little piece of shit, and. Pixelbot is kind of tasked in this world, this 2D roguelite procedurally generated world. He's just trying to get home. That's it. But because Pixelbot is so incompetent, because he's so small, because he's so unassuming, everything he has to do comes off as being extreme. Just him going to the grocery store is an extreme thing for him. He doesn't even want to get out of bed. And that's Pixelbot Extreme on PS4. Uh, Relicta comes to PS4. Uh, this is a game that probably has uh, a lot of cobblestone in it. Probably has like swords and and a little bit of magic. Maybe I get that vibe. Uh, you're trying to find something that's really important. It's a big MacGuffin, and you got to save the world from uh, b- probably a big spider, maybe like a skeleton. Seems like one of those kinds of things. There's, it definitely does. Yeah, Relicta is such a. That's not so not even close to any real word that I can't even begin to describe this to you. Well, it's funny because you're right about it. It's definitely got to be some sort of nerdy RPG because the word relic. Yeah. And the and the suffix ta both indicate that to me. But I don't know for sure. Rogue Cube comes to PS4. So in the world of cubes there, let's let's let me back up. Think about Lois Lowry's The Giver. And how everyone saw him black and white, <laughs> right? Except for like certain people that were allowed to see color and allowed to see the world the way it really is. Well, and there's a there's a commune in Central Europe of all cubes. They're just all unassuming anthropomorphic cubes. 
and they all live their lives and they do what they're assigned. They get their assignments. They get their job assignments. They, they're they're married together and plan marriages. And <laughs> Rogue Cube is about the one cube who doesn't want to live stifled in this commune, this black and white giver Lois Lowry like commune. He wants to get the fuck out of there. And so he is the Rogue Cube. And it's about how he murders all the other cubes around him in order to get out. Oh, so fun. no one ever so no one ever can know what he did. Okay. Scully comes to PS4. This is uh this is a ge- this is a game about your skull, you specifically. You the person listening to this. Your skull falls out of your own head while you're sleeping one day cuz you you slept on the bed wrong and and it rolls down down the stairs, out the window, down a drainage pipe, and your and your job as your skull is to get back to your your deflated head, and it's uh <laughs> it's a physics based puzzle platformer. <laughs> Sounds awesome. It comes to PS4. That's Scully. So Spitlings on PS4 <laughs> comes out now. This is a, this is a simple game. You can actually use your PlayStation Move controllers to play it if you want. You're basically just going to be given people's pictures of people's faces and they're talking to other people, but slowly accumulating around their mouths are like little pieces of spit that you sometimes see, like little white gatherings of mucus and whatnot. And you use the PlayStation Move controller to just wipe the spitlings away and clean the guy's face up because he's with someone that's too embarrassed to tell him that he's got something on his face. Oh, nice. You don't have to worry about that. You can be totally unassuming and just help him out. And the quicker you get the spitlings off these various people's faces, they're in class, like it's a professor teaching a class. It's a guy giving a seminar. It's a it's a a cashier at a supermarket. The quicker you get the spitlings off them, the higher your score is because they're the embarrassment sinks deeper and deeper. And if you don't do it quick enough, then eventually someone with no shame tells them that there's spitlings on their face and they uh, lose. And so Ooh. do you. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, Steam Tactics comes to PS4. And PS Vita. This is a tactics-based game uh, where all of your units and all of your characters are your money, and you have to navigate Steam sales oh. in, in a in a in a in a tactics-like environment. You have to make sure that, like, you know, your 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 twenty dollars has Overwatch on the you know the the the, the top-selling category, and you got to make sure that, like, ah, you know, your your extra whatever's in your steam wallet is is still charged enough to actually buy that game that you're never going to play really uh it's very interesting twist on the formula but uh yeah that's steam tactics i like for and like, ps vita that sounds awesome yeah watch vr comes to psvr and this is basically <laughs> a game about watching someone else play vr so it's a <laughs> it's a it's a meta game and watch vr you put on your headset, your PlayStation VR headset, you sit down in a chair, you look around, and in the distance, with your dual shot controller in hand, of course, in the distance, you see someone else sitting down in a chair playing VR. And so you can walk around them, watch them, look at the, the silliness, look at how weird they look and how funny they look. You can laugh at them or whatever. Easy platinum trophy, from what I understand as well, and watch VR. So check it out. Yeah. Watch VR on PSVR. That's actually a great idea, honestly. You just like, <laughs> you, like you just, the, your goal is to just trip up this dude playing VR. So you just have like access to like sticks and brooms and like baseballs and just like all the shit that you could throw at them. I like that idea. It's not a bad idea, honestly. No. Okay. Wizards Wand of Episcosity comes to PS4. This is a game about Harley Portlet and he's he's an orphan in in Albion and he gets he gets summoned to a wizarding school and he has to fight a man with 
called uh, Hugo Noseless. And uh, he it's seven long, really long episodes of just a bunch of magic shit. And uh, that's probably, I don't know. That seems like probably what it is, vaguely at least. So that that's a it's a wizard game. It comes to PS4. Fair enough. Yeah. And finally, Zachariah Pinball comes to PS4 again. Did it come last week too? <laughs> I feel like I remember reading this on like a l- older episode of the drop. Well, it's back. <laughs> and of course, well, people will remember then that Zachariah Pinball is uh, based on the Old Testament, <laughs> particularly the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And uh, it's just about surviving, getting smited by God. Good. God doesn't want you to get the hole, the ball in the hole. The machine blows up the, just like the, the bush burned. Yeah, exactly. Just like the snake ate the apple or whatever. I don't know what happened. Yeah. The snake didn't eat the apple. <laughs> Eve ate the apple. Yeah. The, Thanks, sna- the snake gave the apple. I think. Thanks, Eve. By Appreciate the way, I looked that. up Relicta. It's, it's totally it's, it's just it's a complete opposite. It's, it's some sci fi portal looking thing. Oh, OK. Well, we were wrong there. Yeah, I guess. All right, that's all for this week's games. Nothing here, both in both real or fake, that I would necessarily recommend. Fall Guys, obviously, if you want to check it out because it's free. But yeah, I heard I've heard good it. things about Fall Guys. Me too, but it's definitely not my kind of game. But it yeah. might be other people's t- kinds of games. All right, Chris. Tradition dictates that we end our show with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience submitted on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Collins Last Stand. Thank you again for your support over there. We'll begin with Oliver Gia, who wrote in and said, Dear Cocky Colin and Conniving Chris, here's a question that I might, I think might be cause for some debate. Are visual novels actually video games? This niche genre, as its admirers will well know, emphasizes story above all else, and the vast majority of time is spent reading through copious amounts of text. They utilize the medium of video games to have music and voice acting and have far more interactivity than a simple book or manga. Typically, the only real gameplay, so to speak, is the occasional narrative choice that may lead to multiple endings. But some visual novels like Higurashi, When the Cry and Planetarian are completely text and have no choices at all. Others like Phoenix Wright and Danganronpa combine visual novel storytelling with point and click adventure style gameplay. As such, I think it's quite hard to box visual novels into just one category sometimes. The question still remains, though. Are they actually video games? Would appreciate hearing your thoughts. Stay safe and don't forget your mask. Chris, are visual novels video games? I so I think they can be to to me a video game really only needs one requirement and that's really kind of like a video game needs to have a, a fail state to me for me to consider it a video game like if it's a, if it's a game that you can't lose then it really is just kind of like an experience it's kind of like a virtual kind of um it's it's almost like going to a concert in VR you know where it's like okay so this is a virtual experience that's kind of tailor-made for you but it, you, you can't fail it not saying that anything that doesn't have a fail state is like a bad experience but you know i i just feel like intrinsic in the definition of video game is the word game and a game kind of implies competition whether or not that's competition between you and other players or whether or not that's a competition between you and the ai or you and the level design there's some level of like you know, challenge, even if it's really like kind of muted and it might not always be like super, super difficult. Um, There's always some semblance of trying to challenge the player in some way. And I don't really know if 
all visual novels qualify under that necessary under that specific definition for me. But I think it's also kind of weird to just say that this is arbitrarily not a video game because it's not something that I'm particularly familiar with. So I'm kind of like, I don't know. I don't really care about what is and isn't a video game, but I am kind of vaguely interested in 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 this topic because I've seen this discussed for like a really long time. Yeah, I don't I think he I don't know the answer because I think Oliver gets into some interesting stuff. He brings up Phoenix Wright, which is a good example. Uh, I love that series. But Danganronpa is an even more interesting series because it is a visual novel. And he says it, it's with they combine it with point and click adventure style gameplay. They do. But Danganronpa is actually real time as well mm-hmm. in the tri- the class trial. So that definitely is a video game. And I would say, obviously, Phoenix Wright is a video game. If other adventure style games are, are video games. Yeah, I think my bigger thing with this, though, Chris, is like, who cares? Yeah, I I don't want to discount this question completely, but this is the same kind of argument we have about cell phone games and what kind of games are games and who's a gamer and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, 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 interesting. And I like having those kinds of conversations and I've had those kinds of conversations, but ultimately it doesn't really matter. I would say that if a visual novel has any sort of control in it, then it's a video game, even if it's just uh, linear. So if you're just pressing buttons to speak to people and like pointing at people or whatever, I think that's a game. Yeah. Uh, I, I, otherwise, it, other, I mean, if it's literally just reading a book, then it's a book. But I don't know that I've ever truly encountered a visual novel or seen one that was just that. Usually there's something more to it, some sort of inventory management, some sort of nonlinearity, some sort of multiple choices or yeah. multiple endings or whatever. There's always something in there that's gamey. You can get like really granular with it, too, because you could you could theoretically argue that a DVD menu is technically like a video game. You know what I mean? Because you're interacting, you're using a controller input method to kind of interact with like a digital thing on screen. And you're just sort of selecting between different things that are like vaguely tangentially experiences. But like it is like a just a really kind of nothing conversation because it doesn't really like even if you got the answer like what what would it change you know what i mean like if we had a definitive answer this is there or this isn't a video game like what would what would be gained from it really if anything yeah like i don't don't really know. know what what the purpose of the conversation is i just find it interesting to see like what people think like a like a video game should be yeah i yeah, I don't know. I guess, well, we can we can have a conversation over the coming weeks, I guess. I guess so, We've yeah. opened up the Pandora's box. Thank you, Oliver. Michael B., maybe Michael B. Jordan, oh, wrote yeah. in and said, Hi, CNC. This year has been a mess. Every game reveal event, just as lackluster as the last, has this year finally proven that we need E3. If E3 happened this year, we'd have release dates for both games and consoles. We'd have prices for the consoles instead of these individual lackluster events. All the goodies would have been packed into a single giant blowout. Doesn't this year show that not only do we need E3, but it's it's set to come back with a vengeance. Well, well, I don't know if that's necessarily like a fair way to phrase it. Michael. Michael B. Michael B. Because we've had lackluster E3s before. Like, that's like a thing that's happened. But also just, you know, if E3 happened this year, presumably we wouldn't be having like a pandemic. Like the only reason that E3 isn't happening is because there's a pandemic, you know? So it's almost like intrinsically like linked to the reason why things are taking so long anyway. You know what I mean? No, definitely. And I, I would go a step further and to say that 
let's say we were able to have an E3 in this environment, which we obviously weren't, but but then people were still working in this environment, in this in this virus environment, then everything would have been delayed anyway. So E3 would have just shown shit. All the dates would have had been corrected. Then we yeah. would have had to have all these weird press releases. People would have gotten upset. If anything, I, I believe the exact opposite is true, Michael. I think this year showed that we do not need E3. That we do, do not need these mega shows and that publishers and developers can control the message uh, at their leisure and that it actually gives us more, more to talk about. I've been in the games industry a long ass time. And this has been one of the most interesting summers that I can remember, not from games being released. There's not that many games being released outside of the two PlayStation exclusives, but uh, which are great. But that th- this this creates a lot more buzz for us to talk about as enthusiasts. I feel like this is much more exciting. I hope E3 stays far away. And I don't know that E3 is ever going to come back with a vengeance because I think that no matter when vaccine goes out and every, we kind of get the all clear. I think there's just going to be a permanent group of people that never want to be at those things again. That would usually go. Yeah. And that goes for E3, Gamescom, TGS, PAX, whatever. Like, I'm really I'm not really uh, I'm not a germaphobe at all, but I think I'm going to think twice about all these things that I used to take for granted, too. And I don't think e- I, so. My interpretation of this is the exact opposite. I think this this year, Michael, showed that E3 doesn't need to exist and has given a lot people a lot more flexibility. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> well, t- well, talk to me. <laughs> no, I just, um, I just, I'm getting really sick of all these shows that are just happening now. Where it's just like, okay, here's another fucking, here's a Square Enix show, here's a Eidos Montreal show, here's a, here's a Beyond Good and Evil show, and it's just like, do we really? I don't know. Like, it's, it just gets to the point where everything's just disjointed, and it's just you have like an overwhelming schedule at this point, where it's just like, okay, here's like 50 different shows from different publishers that didn't need to show anything that ea show was so stupid and i feel like it would have been less stupid if it was like if, if it could have just gotten lost in the noise of just like a of a of you know the three days that we'd normally have i just also just think that the three days of e3 are just typically a lot more interesting and a lot more exciting because everybody's kind of i, I feel like it's the one time where everybody is really kind of on the same page in the sense that Everybody is, is is excited at once, and there's like kind of like a contagious joy to that. Where it's now, it's like, you know, the Xbox showcase happens, and then I'm in the text chat with my friends, and like half of them are like, "Oh yeah, you know, I already saw the PlayStation show, so I'm not, you know," but like, so I'm not interested. But it's like on E3, it's like everybody's having fun the same day. Everybody's talking about the shit that they're excited about. I don't know. I feel like it's sad that we lost it, but do we need it? Probably not. Is it going to come back? I don't think so. I think it's probably going to stay gone. I think that's fine, but I do think that publishers should probably think twice about having showcases when there's there's clearly nothing to show for a lot of these people. You know, like there's so many of these showcases that have happened that I'm like, you really didn't need to to do any of this. But doesn't this then? Because I don't I don't disagree with that at all. But then doesn't this symbolize that we just need to find, as an industry, find our way in this new normal that people need to collaborate on their shows or just know when not not to try to take the spotlight in the microphone if you don't really have a reason to take it yeah i just feel like it i just feel like the requirement is and the onus is on those doing these shows not necessarily the situation itself like oh no no for sure but it's you know but it's still true it's still happening regardless you know so it's just like oh man you know how like every single e3 that bethesda has shown up after fallout 4 has been just like what yeah, like more disappointing than the last year. Yeah, yeah, it's just like you don't have to do this. 
Like you really don't have to do this. You can you can show your games as a part of like a PlayStation showcase or an Xbox showcase or even just like I don't know, just put something out on your YouTube account or something. Like you, I don't know. Uh, it's just frustrating all these all these different shows that I have to now keep track of and they're all scattered and like unpredictable and just randomly placed throughout the the throughout the year and it's just uh, it's just too much. Well, we'll see if um if we revert back to normal once the vaccine is done. And if we get our E3 back and you might be in the plurality of people for all I know, I don't I don't know. I'm sure this is a pretty common, common theme. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I just I, th- I think it'd be fine. I feel like I'll, I'll say this. I think it would be fine if we all just consolidated all of these events to at least the same month. Just get us get us a month of just solid straight stuff so we don't have to like plan for like an entire like year's worth of random surprise events. So I don't have to. F- film a pickup for the state of play that's happening right now yeah they apparently showed some stuff off but uh, i'll save it for the uh for the pickup i do nothing crazy all right well thank you michael b appreciate you writing in let's see here mark luscombe wrote into us and said hello the seas do you think that ps plus will remain as it is now for ps5 or will a new subscription model or product be introduced around paying to play online Getting free games, in quotes, as part of PS Plus seems to me to overlap with the PlayStation Now model. Will Sony or should Sony revamp PS Plus for PS5 or remove it and replace PS Plus with something else? And how could they or should they do this? So Mark is undoubtedly writing in about this because of what's going on with Xbox right now Mm -hmm, and the rumors that are circulating. Although I think the rumors have been struck down, stricken down, striked down. I don't know which one's right, but. I think that that's why he's writing in. So the rumor recently, as Chris knows, is that uh, Microsoft was going to basically get rid of Xbox Live Gold completely. And this is something that they they shot down. Basically, this idea that they would actually have free to play online games, this whole flipping of the script, which which is would be fascinating. But that's not going to happen. First of all, what did you think of those rumors when you heard that when you heard them, they dispelled them. They felt like they needed to come out and say something about it. But. Just this very idea that Microsoft was going to streamline their own services certainly brought me pause about what Sony should do as well. Yeah, I I didn't think for a second that that was going to happen. But, you know, there the fact that that rumor was got so big that Microsoft had to address it, I think is kind of interesting because it kind of shows how the general public you know, outside of YouTube comments and outside of like Twitter kind of views Microsoft. And they've kind of, they have flipped the script in a weird way where there's this, there's this interesting expectation of Microsoft to be insanely consumer friendly. Like the, the, like this, this rumor wouldn't have gained steam at all in like 2012, you know, like, like, yeah, they're going to get rid of Xbox Live Gold. Okay, sure. What, what is, what is Xbox Live Silver now? What is, is that just... Like what everyone gets? That's just basic. That's just like it's. I don't think there even is a silver. Like silver, oh, there isn't. Well, silver. That's old school. I haven't thought about Xbox Live Silver in a long time. But silver was just basically like default. Like you know, you could buy stuff from the store. You could you know join your. You could you could um add friends and message friends and it basically functions as you know Xbox without Xbox Live. You know, you're connected to the internet, but. You don't have you can't play. You don't have any like yeah. You can't uh, you can't play with other people. And gold right. is literally just like you know, it's just PlayStation Plus where like you can play with other people and you can get free games and stuff. Well, I will say this to Mark's inquiry 
I do think it's imperative for Sony to just fold PS Plus and PS Now into the same thing. I agree. Yeah, uh, I, I just think that that would be so that would be such a huge coup for them. It would be they would have to raise the price, I think. So I understand why they have a la carte availability. But PS Plus is basically just free games and online accessibility now. That's and, you know, some sales. So what they could really do is just scrap PS Plus and make online free and then just have PlayStation Now as just a, co- a concurrent, constantly roving catalog of free games. It's, it seems to be to me a no brainer. Yeah, in my mind. I know that they have a lot of latent income with PS Plus and that it's low cost. PS Now is much more expensive for them to run. But I think that that's the future to so just say, like, listen, like you don't w- online is free. We don't have to give you free games every month now because you'll have like hundreds of them every month. Yeah, but the, but I think the issue is that people buy PlayStation Plus, you know, people might stay with PlayStation Plus because uh, of the deals and, you know, because of like the the extra perks. But people there's no doubt in my mind that people buy PlayStation Plus because they kind of have to to enjoy their multiplayer stuff. Like, I think that's what gets people in. And I think the, the features that they get accustomed to is what gets people hooked and what gets what gets people to stay in that ecosystem. So I, I don't know necessarily if making online free is, is the best business move just because it's so much free money that you'd be kind of weird to, to just say no to. But I do think that PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now should be folded into the same thing. I do think like even just like a slight price hike would be would probably be fine because, again, people, you know, you have the dominant place. You have the dominant console platform. People are going to pay to play online with their friends anyway. Like, like it's very, I feel like most people would be fine paying a little bit more for a little bit extra than, you know, just sticking with the same old scenario. I do think a similar thing is going on over on the Xbox ecosystem where they're, they're lumping in Game Pass and the game streaming. They're, they're lumping in Game Pass with xCloud or whatever. And that's supposed to happen in mid-September. Which I think is totally smart. Like that's exactly how you get that into the hands of like a lot more people. And I think PlayStation Now, while a little bit janky and not exactly the best in my experience, you know, it does offer something. And you just want to get that offer out in front of a lot of people. And I think the best way to do that is to lump it in with something that everybody is kind of already accustomed to and already kind of, you know, I don't want to sound too like too bleak, but like already kind of dependent on for their online content. I think it's wise. Yeah, I, I I agree with you from a business perspective. There's no doubt that there's a lot of wisdom in keeping PS Plus. 45 million active PS Plus subscribers at, let's say, an average of $7 a month is an extraordinary amount of income. That's billions of dollars a year. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you there. And it seems to be low cost other than the acquisition of the games themselves and the lump sums they pay. PlayStation now is much more expensive, but they got to figure out a way to fold these things at some point mm-hmm. and make it easier for everyone to comprehend. So that maybe. PS Plus, maybe PS Now goes away. PlayStation Plus is just a thing, but there's that, that perpetual catalog of games. I love that idea. And I think that would be incredibly competitive for them to do that yeah. with uh, Microsoft. But I think so, too. I'm sure they'll have more to say about services before the console comes out. Empty Symbol wrote into us. We've actually gotten this question a couple of times over the years, but I always like to revisit it. It says, hey, Colin and Chris, hope you guys are doing well. Been a longtime fan and decided to finally submit a question to you. As we are coming up on the last months of the generation, something crossed my mind that I had long forgotten. In 2014 at E3, PlayStation announced a game called Wild. This game was supposed to be a sort of survival role-playing game where you play as a druid that has the ability to control any living creature. 
You use this ability to complete missions for the old gods, and each creature allows you to interact with the world in creative ways. For the time, this game looks pretty ambitious to me, and I was excited to eventually play it. Coming up on seven years since the announcement, I haven't been able to find anything about this game or the studio that developed it, Wild Sheep Studios, probably due to the horrendous SEO, as every time I Google it, Breath of the Wild pops up. Anyway, I was just wondering if either of you remember this game or had any insight as to the fate of this title or the studio. Anyway, take care, gents, and keep fucking that chicken. Thank you, Empty Symbol. Do you remember Wild, Chris? I do. I do. So he's a little bit wrong here. This game was actually revealed at Gamescom, as I remember, because I was there in 2014. And here's the connection to what we were talking about earlier with Beyond Good and Evil. This is also Michelle Ansel. Wild Sheep Studio, it was his studio when he tried to spin off of Ubisoft. This guy's two, both of this guy's games just don't exist. And I think that that should tell you a little bit about what's going on with him. So you, you explain the game totally right. Empty symbol. It's a procedurally generated world with animals and you can kind of take them over. And it was a really cool idea. I, I remember seeing the trailer for the first time at the show and they did show it at Paris Games Week in October 2015 as well. But this game's never coming out. Uh, Sony was <laughs> supposed to be. This is a second party game. Sony's publishing and funding this game. If Sony said nothing about it, then it's not coming. This is why I'm confused why Ubisoft greenlit Michelle Ansel's Beyond Good and Evil 2. Because he left Ubisoft, but is working in a, in a second party relationship with Ubisoft. Wild Sheep Studio is also working with Sony in a second party relationship. It, suffice it to say, this game's not happening. Um, and, and as far as I know, no one has even heard of anything about this game or talked about it since 2017. Yeah. So, yeah, do you have anything to add about Wild? Uh, not really, but I, I, I do think it's interesting that, um, you know, the empty symbol here. He mentioned uh, you mentioned that it happened at Gamescom and he confused it for E3, which is just kind of uh, just really emblematic to me of just like how synonymous E3 is with it, with just interesting and exciting shit, you know, as far as sure. like video games go. Like no one's ever confused an E3 announcement for a Gamescom announcement like ever. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure because it's just ubiquitous. it's just so it's so ubiquitously like tied to video games. It's insane. Well, well, I, I always love talking about wild right in every six months or so. And we'll uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll tell say the, the wild story. It. I guess it was it was relevant today. Technically, no, I, I agree. But uh, for anyone that's holding, I mean, this game's definitely vapor. I wouldn't imagine vapor. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't imagine that this is uh, going to come. Yeah. Mike Fowler wrote in and said, hi, CNC. I would like to know why this console war seems to be more toxic than the PS4 and Xbox One start of this generation. Like before it was just the games. Now PlayStation is terrible for consumers for not using DualShock 4 for PS5 games, or they should be ashamed for making exclusive deals for add-on DLC and console exclusive debuts like Deathloop and Tokyo Ghostwire. But when Microsoft does the same with smaller indie titles like the gunk or the medium, they are praised. Those smaller titles sell consoles in my eyes as well. Even bigger game sites are fueling the fire with the news headlines to make Sony older style of console launch compared to Microsoft's sound bad. I wanted to use this one, Chris, from Mike, because I don't agree at all. Yeah. I think the PS4 Xbox One generation, like going into that was like total hell on earth in the games industry. And maybe yeah. it's because I was actually still in the media at that time. But I remember it being horrible. And I don't feel like it's that bad right now. I don't know what your interpretation more on the outside is, Chris. Yeah, no, I, I feel like it's a lot more positive, honestly. I feel like uh, I feel like because I feel like because the big three are doing such vastly different things that there's less really for people to argue about. 
because there's really less, not that there's less competition, but there's less overt and direct competition between these, between the big three. It very much seems like Microsoft is doing their own thing, Sony's doing their own thing, and Nintendo's doing their own thing. And they're still competing with each other in the sense that, you know, they're trying to get into your house. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel nearly the nearly as close to the xbox one or ps4 honestly even the 360 and ps3 the, P, the 360 and ps3 generation is the one that i remember as being like particularly that that was like the the genesis uh nintendo kind of ah oh, man you have this fuck you <laughs> you know like i remember that a lot in like comment sections and like now i see a lot more positivity and just like oh yeah i'm looking forward to ghost of Tsushima. oh yeah game pass is so good oh man breath of the wild is amazing like, I, I just don't see nearly as much uh, negativity in, as compared to, like, even just the last two generations. I'm with you. That's why I, I'm curious what Mike's seeing, because, well, he, he tells us what, what he's seeing. If you see news headlines with incendiary headlines and, and incendiary articles, it's because the games media needs you to click on shit uh, yeah. more than ever. But uh, I, I got to say, I feel like there's a lot of peace and kumbaya shit going on compared to the way it used to be. I've been in this industry, like I said, a long time. This is far from my first console launch. Yeah. Like, and uh, like, yeah, I, I don't I'm not seeing it that way. Yeah. Like it's it's like Cuphead. Cuphead is on PlayStation now. Halo is on PC. Horizons on PC. Death Stranding's on PC. This the, Xbox Live Gold is on apparently going to be on Switch at some point. Like there's there's it's such a completely different ecosystem now than it than it really ever has been. And I, I just don't see negativity outside of just like the standard like you know click farms kind of thing where it's like oh yeah i need i need clicks on my incendiary article to get noticed and you know that stuff's always been around and always probably will be around as long as there is media on the internet but i i just don't think it's even even close yep i, I am 100 agreed i will say mike is right about that people getting a little salty about third party exclusives but third party exclusives are not really a new phenomenon so for instance Deathloop and Tokyo Ghostwire are Bethesda published games that are coming first to PlayStation while the gunk and the medium are smaller games that that Microsoft's getting on Xbox the people I think thought third-party exclusives were really going to go away they actually kind of went away this generation they were really more prominent in the PS3 and 360 generation and certainly before that yeah but those do seem to be coming back that is creating some anger amongst some people but I think that that's a drop in the bucket Compared to the the, I don't want to say the positivity. Everyone's always mean on the internet, but it's yeah. all relative. It's all relative, I guess, is what I'm saying, Mike. So yeah, for sure. And also, just like I don't know, like I remember being there was a big Destiny thing back in the day, like when Destiny had like exclusive content for like a year on PlayStation. I remember just being like, "What the fuck is this?" Like that was infuriating compared to a lot of stuff now, which is just like, ah, eh, whatever. All right, Chris, let's wrap up with Mr. Potato Balls. Of course, yes. He wrote in and said, hey there, Covenant Chris and C-Word Colin, long time, first time. Just wanted to see what you guys thought about the apparent backpedaling by Take-Two in regards to the $70 price jump on games. Recently, they've clarified their statements and said that, that not all their next ge- next games will necessarily be making that jump. My question is, do you think this is in response to, ba- and to Backlash and Ubisoft's own announcement of $60 this holiday season, or do you think this was them just testing the waters? Personally, I think the jump is overall justified. And while I enjoy being able to save a few bucks, this hobby is still an amazing value when it comes to time entertained and the cost. I agree there. These $60 games often offer a value of only a few bucks per hour played with some 100 plus hour epics, giving you that entertainment for basically pennies per hour compared to movies, books, etc. It seems to me that dollar for dollar gaming is one of the best deals out there. 
Hope all, hope is always that you and your families are well and safe, brothers. And thanks for making whatever day I get around to listening to this podcast pretty dang nice. You're welcome, Mr. Potato Balls. Thank you for your support. You and all of your tuber family. Now, Chris, uh, th- they did start rolling this back a little bit with take two. Strauss Zelnick and those guys saying mm-hmm. that not all their games will be that way. This is, of course, referencing Ubisoft's uh, insistence that their holiday games, whether on PS5 or PS4, will cost $60. Do you think that there is a backpedaling or do you think that they're just trying to test the waters here? Because my, my whole thing here is still that I think that Ubisoft is simply saying that they're not going to play that game yet. Yeah. And that it'll happen next gen, you know, next year when they make next gen only games. Yeah. No, I think I think you're totally right. I, I think uh I don't know if they're really backpedaling. I think that I think they are just kind of testing the waters. I do think it was it was it was a good move for uh, Ubisoft, for sure, to just oh, come yeah, out huge to just come out and be like, ah, yeah, not us, <laughs> you know. And that kind of for- that definitely forced Take Two to just sort of like say something, because otherwise it would be just confusing. I personally just kind of wish they would just get over get it over with, you know. I don't really like this whole like oh, I don't want to play. I don't want to. I don't want to play the the seventy dollar price game yet it's like well i know you're gonna play it so just play it you know yeah you make an interesting point that it might be worse overall for them to do this after the consoles come out like yeah. you get six months of 60 dollars, like a six month grace period and then suddenly everything's 70 dollars. but the games are 60 assassin's creed ragnarok was 60 and it's like yeah you're creating more incentive for complaints later on but you're going to win the the short game so i think that that's what ubisoft's trying to do Mm -hmm. not try to confuse the situation i think take two is clearly going to charge 70 dollars for their games i think uh you know uh, the reason a lot of this stuff's coming up right now is because the fiscal fiscal quarter just ended so people are just talking business and i think you're just hearing a lot of shit being said on on financial calls that aren't necessarily accurate so Mm -hmm. but mr potato balls thank you for writing in about that chris that's all we have Mm -hmm. for this episode of sacred symbols a PlayStation podcast. Do you have any closing comments? Uh, I I am so hungry. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I gotta poop pretty bad myself. <laughs> that cookie was did, did not did not help. No, you got go go eat. You know, get some meat on those bones and yeah. I'm gonna my, make myself a, a meatloaf and just a meatloaf. Just make meatloaf. Just I don't want you to put anything in it though. I just want you to get eighty twenty ground beef and make it into a loaf and then bake it. Yeah, yeah. And eat it with no spices, no ketchup. Put some baked Nothing. beans on the side. Right, exactly. Yeah, well, there you go. Jeez, that sounds great. All right, Chris, well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all out there for your love, your kindness, and your support of our show. We'll see you next time for Sacred Symbols Plus. And of course, Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Like 10,000 and more of you do. We need your help. Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand for early ad free access. The ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, and other things. So thank you so much. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you next time. Until then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom.
Avery Lewandowski, an unofficial controller podcast, Andrew Morgan, Gregory Slavinsky, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Zach Parsley, Jerome Ferreira, John, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Ben, Azan, Toothless Gibbon, Isaac Wasteman, Michael Vecchio, Joey Finelli, SL the FMA, Ryan T. Mandel, Jorge Palomino, Paul Joyce, Enrique Perez, Don Lee, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Homeworld Hub, Nelson LeBlanc, Daniel Johnson, Sticks and Crits, Alan Abraham, Zach Bonham, Jay Getter, Vexius, Bjorn Campbell, Greg Lotta, Galja, Todd Paxton, Darren Gardner, Of Fortuna, Boots, Megadet, Kevin Komaki, Saul Balcazar, Raul Melendez, Robbie Hensley, Daniel Margaka, Bloody Fang, Eric Harden, Matt Martin, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Spencer Brand, TB Lightning, Antti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Travis Plymel, Chris Galvin, Ryan Murdoch, Jesse Owens, Mason Cadillac, Scott Lovelace, Chris Buston, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Michael S., Joshua Smallwood, Damon Weathers, Cody Bradbury, Carl Tolman, Richter86, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Donnie Nolan, Patrick Harper, Gerald Pennington, Greg Julefs, Blake Israel, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Connor Gashian, Lawrence F. Prokop, Organic Produce, James Kinslow III, Tyler Bellow, Mubarak, Alan Tremblay, McDog18, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Marius Carson Peterson, Ray Laja, Throw7, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gamer Phil Maholic, Ahmad Tamar, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Josh Bushing, Dylan Burns, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton Kay, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, William O'Carroll, Phil Crone, Mike Wayne, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Gio Corsi, Justin Wagaman, Jason Pettit, Chad Lewis, Jeff Pollard, Shane Rayum, John Cordero, Mark Boggio, Keith A. Lewis, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Toby Schutman, Eric Bateman, Mad Mock Media, Josh M., and Jonathan Rice. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.